in-depth interview with Robert Mueller of Deep Root Pinball. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston. I'm the editor of Pinball Magazine, and I'm joined here with... I'm Martin Ayer, and I'm the editor of Pinball News, and uh, we've joined up for a special bonus podcast where we're going to do a really in-depth interview with uh, the head of Deep Root Pinball, Robert Mueller, on the, uh, well, just after they, um, the company has begun taking orders for their very first title. Yes, they launched their website, and um, like Martin says, they are now taking orders, and production will uh, probably begin early next year. So, yes, we, uh, but, we will but, ask Robert about that. Yes, we asked Robert about that, and basically, without further ado, let's listen to this very lengthy two-and-a-half-hour interview, but yeah, trust that, that's us. That's how in-depth it is. That's how in-depth it is, and I think there's not many topics that we didn't discuss. And there's some, uh, I, think, I think it's fair to say, exclusive news about various aspects of, uh, of Raza and uh, how it's going to be made and sold, which right. uh, I don't think anybody has, uh, has announced before, so definitely worth listening to if we do say so ourselves. So we're joined... Uh, here uh, with Robert Mueller, the um, founder of Deep Root Pinball, um, a company that has had a quite a rocky start, I would say. Um, originally, they planned to launch, I think it was almost like three years ago. Um, uh, apparently, there were some, some setbacks. Um, obviously, the coronavirus didn't help either. Um, but the good news is their first game is uh, officially being uh, revealed, Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. And we're talking to uh, the man who made it all possible, Robert Mueller from Deep Root Pinball. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it's nice to be here with uh, you, Jonathan and Martin. And uh, can't wait to, uh, to answer your questions and fill in some blanks for y'all. Well, thank you very much, uh, Robert. We're very much looking forward to finding out more about um, about Raza and uh, and the plans of Deep Root. Um, so the, the website launched just the other day, and you are now officially taking orders for your very first title. Uh, why, after you know, after several years of in, in building the company, building the the design base, and uh, and starting on your first series of games. Why, why launch the website and start taking orders for games right now, uh, just before the holiday season and um, when, you're, when you're not actually able to sell games direct to, to the public? Uh, what is, is now a particular you know, important point for you to, to launch the website and uh, start taking orders? Yeah, that's a good question. Just to uh, kind of correct something that Jonathan said is that Originally, our goal was to um, launch at TPF 2019, which uh, is a little under two mm -hmm. years ago. Right. Um, okay. You know, a lot of a lot of effort went in. Now that you and we'll talk about that today. Uh, now that you see more or less what our package is, uh, became very clear to us that the level of the package wasn't there at TPF 2019 that we wanted it to be. Um, we ended up, you know, spending a couple of months uh, about a year ago uh, to get uh, at least a non-pin bar version, um, but with a lot of the other circuitry out for Raza at the Houston Arcade Expo. Right. Um, in November. Yeah, I can't remember the exact name, but it's it's it was the event in Houston. Yeah, that was it. Um, and You're then right. as we were getting ready to have everyone, I believe, including both of you, to uh, to come over for uh, our launch back in March, and then TPF, you know, the mm. pandemic hit. 
And the number one problem that we've had this year, and um, and I know a lot of other manufacturers, not only in pinball but uh, in all industries, are dealing with dealing with vendors. I mean, um, vendors are facing the same problems a lot of us are are facing. They're going to their core business and what they know. Um, you know, lead times, getting quotes. It usually takes months to get a vendor um, online and stuff. And we've had to do a lot of work behind the scenes to try to. Um, shore up a supply chain and when you're a new manufacturer and you're working with vendors uh, that you haven't had you know real good solid orders you know like like full production orders um you know you, you tend to go down on the priority list for a lot of these vendors and so dealing with that this year as a new manufacturer has been um been very difficult but you know what mm. if we can do this during the pandemic and get it to work uh, at the end of the day then you know as things start writing uh, the ship starts writing itself next year um, we should have some very, very solid uh, vendor relationships and some very quality parts that we're able to, to throw into these machines. So that, that brings back to the, the question that you had of why now. Mm. Uh, the big reason is I'm tired of setting deadlines and, and not meeting them, right? Um, and so September was a big blow to all of us. Uh, and primarily supply chain just killed us. Parts didn't arrive on time. Parts arrived bad. Uh, rushing to get things done. There were some mistakes in the assembly of the games that we wanted to really show off to the the six you know guests that came. Um, and you know the the good news is it wasn't you know as many companies would be. It would have been an ending or death knell to them. Uh, we were able to to go back. Um, most everything was done. There were those things that were suggested and definitely things that we had to fix and stuff. And we've spent uh, you know two two and a half months fixing those. And so at this point. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, we were like, you know what, um, we're we're ninety nine point nine percent done, and let's get it out there. Uh, let's show it off a little bit. Uh, you know, the the cat is out of the bag because one of the you know six guests leaked information uh, illegally. Um, you know, it is what it is at this point, um, and so we we had to give the rush of information, and then and then we want to show it. We showed it, and then now, I mean. I mean, at some point, you have to start a real company, right? From an R&D to an actual manufacturing company. We've got our website up and going. Um, you know, a, a lot of our parts that we don't already have in stock are on their way. Um, and we're looking forward to, to fulfill orders at this point, making Brazos and shipping them out. Okay. Mm. I'm just kind of wondering why. Why It seemed like it was a, almost like a rush decision to to, uh, to launch at this point and, and to open the, the website to orders because... No, I would expect you to sort of you know, do us that kind of advanced publicity, maybe I would dare I even say it, some kind of a countdown to the launch of the website, um, any promotions, any kind of anything, anything sent out. You know, we didn't know anything about this. We didn't know the website was going to launch until it launched, in, in essence. So we, we could have given it some some kind of boost and, and, um, and, and brought more people to it. And I'm not sure how many people even know now that, that uh, you, you can order a, a, a Razza game through your website, through deeprootpinball.com, um, because um, you have set yourself a, a very narrow window, really, um, an ordering window from the thir- from the 8th of December to the 30th. So what's that? Just um, three weeks in which people can, can order the game. Which include um, the holidays. Right. Indeed, yeah. When uh, I guess, well, it's e-commerce, so I guess people can order stuff all the time anyway. But uh, why did you why did you limit it to, to those three weeks and uh, and what happens after those three weeks? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All uh, all good points. Um, you know, I 
I think at the end of the day, uh, I, as I said before, uh, I think the pinball community and, and shares my, uh, my feeling that I'm tired of countdowns at this point. Um, it, it's time to walk the walk. It's time to execute. And so for us, um, and, I, and I made the comments very clearly, you know, after, uh, after what happened in September is that when we're ready, we're just going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's no, there's no other way to do it than just flip on the switch, right? Um, you know, we, we completely understand. Uh, well, first, pinball, does, pinball sales are pretty good all year long. Uh, so the holiday season, from what I understand from past releases and stuff, is actually a really good time to get a pinball machine out there. I, I said before with Raza that we didn't want to, you know, spend all of 2021 trying to fulfill Raza orders. Um, Raza is a special game. It's a more limited game. Rather than limit it to a specific number of games, what we decided to do instead is just limit it to a period of time. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that word will get out over the next few weeks. Um, it doesn't cost a lot to get a deposit down. Um, and as we fulfill those orders in the first, you know, couple over the next you know, three to four months, we want to definitely get all Razas done uh, well before four months so we can move on to other titles as well. Right. But um, now it's it's better now uh, than never. Uh, and so as a result, um, you know, what we're doing at this point is 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 executing. Right. Uh, that's what I've that's what everyone's expected us to do. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what every other manufacturer does. Okay. Um, while I'm making notes, I do have a question where I uh, briefly want to get back to um, the supply chain issue that you uh, mentioned earlier. Obviously, you're uh, located in San Antonio, Texas, which is not the Chicago area, which is sort of the pinball capital of the world. And that's partly because a lot of vendors that are actually providing um um, materials to, to, to build pinball machines, assemblies, uh, switches, um, uh, inserts, all that kind of stuff, are in the Chicago area. Um, does that put you in a more difficult position to uh, run your manufacturing from San Antonio? No, I mean, in fact, uh, there's nothing novel about what goes into a pinball machine. Um, most of the things that go into pinball machines go into just about any other product. So uh, very few of our orders are, are really from any vendors in Chicago. Uh, you know, we, we really had a very good list of vendors, um, you know, going into March earlier this year. And, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but it was definitely, it wasn't as much as 50, but it was definitely more than, you know, um, you know, 20, 25% of our vendors just dropped off the face of the, of the earth, um, whether they were overseas or whether they were here in the U S. Um, and so re re getting a new vendor in, um, negotiating volume price, you know, getting samples, testing out that getting lead times, all of that takes months usually with a vendor on any particular, you know, item. And when you're talking about hundreds of items that make up a pinball machine, uh, and we have one purchasing guy, right. It was all hands on deck and has been all year to, to really get that side of our business uh, shored up, so we we would have good quality parts in a reasonable amount of time, and to keep prices you know where we want to keep them. So uh, it, it's it sounds very easy for a lot of uh, arm, armchair quarterbacks out there, but I can tell you it's very difficult um, as we're moving now into and have moved into the manufacturing stage is to make sure that supply chain is a very strong one, and we can rely on our vendors to deliver what we need when we need them. 
Right. Okay. Okay. So um, let's let's go to the to what you actually are offering and what you have for sale at the moment. When you when you first started, you said that your intention was to have just a single model of of each uh, title available. And uh, then when when Raza came out, you had uh, an arcade edition, an X edition, and an extra edition. And on the website, uh, you seem to have the two editions now: the arcade and the, and the extra. Uh, what happened to the, to the middle, the X edition? Yeah, great question. So um, each one of the editions has a different, you know, demographic and, and selling point. Uh, we we always wanted sort of a budget to what we call the arcade, uh, very mm -hmm. similar to you know what other manufacturers use as well. However, we wanted to offer a lot more customization. Um, which I know several other manufacturers are starting to do as well. Uh, I think it just benefits the consumer. If they want, uh, you know, um, almost everything, but not quite everything that's locked into a more fixed price for a higher unit, they can go lower at the budget and then add what they want. So uh, it was a nice option. Um, the XE is the one that we dropped. Uh, that was basically the same as the arcade, but with the floating back box design that, that I created. Um, mm. Rather than the more blocky uh, traditional back box that on the arcade edition, yes. um, we just we just felt after what happened in September and over the last two months that it did not make sense anymore to offer uh, the XE model, which was essentially the arcade but just with the floating back box. When we already had the extra uh, available, that's you know the fixed price, everything in it, uh, sort of uh, limited run machine. So what we tried to do uh, is still offer everything we wanted to offer to consumers, um, but uh, it, it just didn't make any sense anymore for us internally or for consumers to be confused by a third model here when really two um, will, will fit, you know, 95%, 99% of, uh, of, of pinball enthusiasts. So. Right, but you didn't, you didn't consider adding the, the uh, floating back box as, a, as an option to the arcade edition as well to, to effectively build it up to the XC. Correct. Uh, we, what we tried to do is do the best, best we could from, from, you know, sourcing parts and, and, and bomb, et cetera, but also merging that with essentially messaging and marketing, you know, making sure things are, are simpler. What we're trying to do with Raza is, you know, these are our build-outs. What we're trying to do with Raza is see what people like and give feedback, you know, from people as we go through the many, many games uh, that are going to come out in the future and trying to um, you know offer what we will. For instance, our second game will not have a floating back box. It will only uh, be um, the arcade, uh, more mm -hmm. traditional style with our you know stainless Cylon type grill. And so we we want to test around and see what people like. And we also want to be different on every release. We want every release that comes out, you know, past Raza to to be unique and have its own uh, unique look, but still, you know, be a deep root machine on, on the same platform. So does that right. mean that um, right now with Raza, um, you have two models available, but um, for future games, it not necessarily means that it's limited to those two models, or it could be just one model, or you might expand on, on, on models. That's uh, what we're currently seeing with Raza is just applying to... Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland and not to future games. Yep, absolutely correct. Uh, we want to keep it very flexible and we want to try to tie um, each of the different titles that we have, which are all unique, right? Uh, they're going to come in at different bomb levels and be sold at different prices, right? And so we want to we basically um, start now 
uh, with letting everyone know here's what's going to be to choose from for Raza. And then as we get to the next few games, um, we'll, we'll adjust as, as we need to, uh, to market conditions. But does that mean okay. that, that, for example, um, I mean, in the case of, of uh, mass manufacturing, it is highly desirable to have, for example, a, uh, a cabinet design which is applicable to uh, uh, multiple game titles. It would be very... Um, What's the word? Uh, uneconomical, I suppose, even to to have well inefficient also to have uh, uh, different cabinet models. Uh, and okay, now there's the change with the back box, but obviously there's more things you can change to uh, to the cabinet. So, and uh, is the, the the cabinet that Deeproot is going to use uh, more or less standardized, or are we going to see changes from title to title, possibly also there? No, the, the platform itself, including, you know, the, the arcade look uh, and the design of the cabinet and then the floating back box look, um, those are pretty, pretty locked in. Uh, you know, we, we really would like to have a five, maybe seven year cycle on, on a lot of this platform. Um, and so uh, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but, it, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent of what goes into Raza will be the same thing that will go into future games. We just might choose just to offer more of the arcade design or platform for, you know, for this game, uh, for this title, or uh, the next one might just offer the, the, the floating, right. And not offer the arcade at all. Um, so, but all of those designs we've taken, that's why we've taken so long and it's taken uh, that long is to get the engineering, right. Get the platforms, right. So then we have uh, a foundation that we just put for whatever the title is. We just change those, those add-ons uh, for that title, and it allows us to, to simplify things behind the scenes. Okay, and, um, and you're absolutely happy now that you've got the basic platform that you, on which you can build the next series of titles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it took us three and a half months last year to rip out the pin bar. That's how core um, the pin bar was and how long it took it to take it out for that November show a little over a year ago. Um, and so um, it was, you know, while the show was important and there were a lot of benefits that we got from, from that, we also lost, you know, over, you know, four months of development time um, in, in having to do that to test some other things and not show up the pin bar sooner than what we wanted when we wanted to show it. But really, the pin bar is the core crux, the blank canvas, the touchscreen, uh, you know, interface that really binds our platform together and allows the user to interact with the pinball machine. Okay. You, um, one of the other things you said earlier on was that you, you wouldn't be taking pre-orders and would only uh, take full payment in up front when the game was ready. And uh, yet, yet you're now taking pre-orders and asking for deposits and or full payment. Uh, why the change of heart? I don't know if it's a change of heart. I probably said that a long, long time ago when, when things were very different. And I had a very um, probably more bullish um, idea of, of how things would get here. Uh, any money that is coming in from uh, customers right now in full payment or deposits being held in an account, it's not being used to, you know, to, to buy parts. It's not being used to, you know, to pay payroll, et cetera, right? So, um, you know, I've, I've spent years taking care of uh, investors uh, and advisors and broker dealers and, uh, and, and, you know, employees and stuff like that. 
uh, I've got this down, right? Uh, I, I know how to take care of customers and we're going to continue to do that uh, as we start this process. And all I, all I expect is that we're held to the same standard that many other pinball manufacturers have been held to in, in years past as they got started as well. And I think that that's a very, that's a very fair thing. I don't consider what we're doing now a pre-order. Um, a pre-order is, hey, give me the money because I, I can't go out and I can't buy the parts and I can't do anything without that money. And so definitely um, we haven't called this a pre-order and it isn't a pre-order. Um, what it means is, is that, you know, for some parts we have for thousands of games, some parts we have for hundreds of games and some parts uh, we only have for uh, a few games and getting those parts in uh, as quick as possible um, and getting games out is the number one focus. And that's why, um, as you'll see, not only on the, the, you know, where you can shop for the machines on the machine page, but also during the order process, we're very clear and transparent. Uh, probably one of the most transparent messages a manufacturer in pinball has ever given. And we're very clear is that, look, it's going to take us four to six weeks as we, as we ramp up these lines and we really QA and, and have a machine and really look it over and make sure things are where we need it to be before it hits a cons uh, customer's house uh, or you know, on location and make sure each one is right. So it's going to be very slow at first. But uh, four but to six we weeks from, from when? Go ahead. I'm sorry, four to six weeks from when? Four to six weeks from, well, essentially right now when we started taking orders. Right, okay. So uh, by the 30th of December, you'll know, I guess, how many parts you need to order for, well, certainly for, for the limited edition, and you'll get a good idea for, uh, you know, for the limited um, extra edition, but also you'll have a good idea of uh, the number of parts you'll need for the arcade version as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're bringing up a very important part that a lot of uh, people in pinball forget is that when we run a business, we want to, we want to, of course, make a profit. Uh, that's, that's what keeps us in business. And especially on a lim more limited run like Raza, as you brought up before, and as I've brought up before, um, it, it becomes very difficult to understand what the uh, order um, needs are. Uh, and when you have a wide range with vendors, I mean, there's some pretty expensive parts. I mean, you could have, you know, a part that that could increase 100 to 200 percent, uh, depending upon, you know, 100 or 200 mm -hmm. um, that you're ordering. And so from a business standpoint, um, being able to next four to six weeks to, to make sure that our QA and, and our machines are where they need to be and getting early customer feedback that, that have unboxed it, but also dealing with the, the, the business side of it behind the curtain, making sure we're hitting, um, you know, our, our expenses and bomb where we need it. And, uh, and our pricing is, is right where we expected it to be. I mean, those, those are things that we have to, to still take into consideration. So, Right. Okay. Um, as we mentioned earlier, your website launched uh, earlier this week. On the website is um, the story of why you started Deep Root Pinball. Part of that, um, what, I, what I read, was that um, well, you didn't uh, grow up with pinball. You sort of discovered it um, through the pinball arcade, and then bought a bunch of games, mostly Belly Williams titles from the uh, golden decade of pinball, being the late '80s to the late '90s. Um, these are obviously uh, favored by many, as by you. Does that mean that? Um, you're not that fond of what has been developed after that? 
Um, you know, that, that's a tough question because I, I like to, to judge um, each title and machine um, uh, on its own. Uh, and I think that uh, there are some that have, you know, have come out that have, you know, hit it out of the park and, and some that definitely haven't for me. I mean, it's like it's like your top 10 list, right? My top 10 list for anything from ice cream to favorite rock band or whatever um, is going to be different than yours. And it doesn't mean either one of us is wrong. It's just a different preference. And so when you come to pinball, uh, you know, titles and games, uh, there's a wide um range and variety that that i'm going to like that that you know is is you know is my preference right sure. so you know in, in my collection uh i love the williams ballet approach and so when we uh started designing not only our platform but also um our game layouts our role sets and stuff like that that simple but very very fun and engaging williams ballet kind of approach is is what we started with it doesn't mean that we always ended with something that was was exactly like you what you would see uh, i think code was pretty shallow back then but still still fun and engaging and to be honest with you i've, I've never gotten to you know the wizard or super modes or, or finished uh, or beat any of my women's ballet games or even close on some so there, there's still a lot of challenge there um but we wanted to create those exciting moments uh that that interacting of the ball in the play field uh, that expected package from one title to another that you would get with Williams or Bally, et cetera. Would you say that you um, that you think that the, the the some of the more modern games have over complicated rules and are, are not necessarily accessible to most players? I mean, that that is my look. I'm not a tournament player. I probably will never be a tournament player. I, I some of the things I see Steve or even John Norris uh, do are just, just I'm just in awe. Like, how is that possible, right? But but I'm a decent player, and so uh, I likely would not buy a title that has a rule set uh, that I have to uh, I have to think about and actually learn. Uh, I'd like to walk up to a pinball machine. And I like to understand, you know, generally by looking at the inserts in the play field and, and the, you know, the little you know, card, what to do. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot of the, the stuff that we put into the pen bar um, to help people kind of figure it out, how, we are, how we're going back to the Williams Ballet days of really using the play field art and inserts to direct people what to do. I think those are important to me. I mean, I, I, you know, recently at West Spring, they've got a lot of, you know, um, uh, more recent Stern games and stuff like that. And, and you know, it, it's nice. I get on there and I'm like, I, I don't know what to hit. And I don't want to go read a manual trying to figure out what to hit. You know, pinball, should you should be able to walk up and it should be inviting, right? And so what I've wanted to do with, with our deeper games is to have that inviting feel. When you walk up to a Raza, you get to have a pretty good idea about what to hit very quickly. Uh, and then you could build from there over time as you're playing over and over and over again. Right, right. Um, so I did watch some of the video that is on the uh, Dipu Pinball uh, website. Um, I must say I am impressed, I would say, with the use of the pin bar during gameplay, where basically uh, the ball is being trapped um, and uh, uh, tickets that have been earned during the game can be actually used to... Um, move along or or benefit the player during gameplay at that time. Um, that's something 
Um, I don't think we've ever seen in pinball before, and I think the possibilities of that could be used, especially in a home environment. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, that, the, the, the whole thought behind that process? Um, uh, I don't know who came up with it, um, and, and how you plan to further develop that. Yeah, so let me talk about the pin bar generally, then I'll, I'll talk about you know, why we've chosen uh, certain directions we've chosen. So it's a great question. Um, so when the iPhone came out, um, the world changed. Um, and all they really did, Apple really did, was put a blank canvas touchscreen um, and, and took a bunch of other tech and just threw it in one you know, simple, easy-to-use device. And, and, you know, for the September show I was going to go through or launch, I was going to go through a lot of, you know, statistics and other things about why we chose to put uh, a touchscreen on a pinball machine. Because if you do, you're stuck now, right? Uh, and you have to make it work right the first time. And so um, just like with, you know, our, our smartphones today, which we can't live without, and, you know, over half of web traffic is now mobile and, and the amount of video on demand and other things uh, consumed through a touchscreen device, whether it's an iPad or, uh, or other tablet or whatever phone. I mean, there's a reason for that. Touchscreens are all around us. They are complete blank canvas that allow us to interact with endless possibilities, infinite worlds, especially when you're talking about uh, mobile gaming uh, on, on a tablet or phone. And so adding that to a pinball machine is really difficult. The first is physical. How do you, where do you put it, right? Uh, how does it look? Are you just going to lose just a little rinky-dinky screen like you see on some you know, back bars of some you know, pinball machines? Are you going to do something that's different? Um, you know, then it comes to the engineering. How, how do you get it on there? How do you keep it you know, protected uh, from breaking or cracking? How do you make sure that it's easily uh, you know, serviceable? Um, and then you get to, I think, your question is what, what's sort of the, the user experience and user interface going to, to look like, the UX and UI? And we spent years poring over UX, UI um, concepts to really try to get something that makes sense for pinball that adds to the experience and allows for infinite possibilities, um, things that people who play pinball have really never thought of before, but once they, they start using them, they're like, oh, wow, this is awesome, right? This, this allows me now to do this or do this, or now the rule set can, can offer new ways to do things, or we can change, you know, that virtual button very quickly and easily to not do a magnet save. Maybe it, you know, it's a diverter, or maybe it, it flips, you know, some, some other component to interact with the ball, you know? So there's a lot more possibilities that happen, you know, with the pin bar there. So we chose the ultra-widescreen pinball uh, pin bar that matches the aspect ratio of the back bar so we can reuse video back and forth, which is an important component of our layout. Uh, we wanted just enough space there for just you know, the edges of the palms to rest gently, and then we wanted to the thumbs, which really are not being used during pinball much at all, to be able to touch things on the screen. Um, then we, we have our layout, and our layout allows on the left side, it's a five-panel layout, but you don't have to have all the panels up. So it could be a very neat, clean interface, or you can, you can muddy it up uh, with, with all the, you know, the, the windows that you want. So you have your settings very quickly on the left, uh, then you have a shot log, uh, then you have a copy of your main screen, but you can touch it, a HUD on and off that gives you basic information like 
your X multiplier or the number of balls you have or um, other information. Then to the right of that, you have, um, you know, a what's next deck to try to steer you to do things um, on the play fields, uh, especially if you don't know what to do next. And then on the very right, you have your virtual button, which is easily clicked by, by a thumb without even looking at the pin bar. So you can keep your attention where it's supposed to be and that it's that is on the play field. Uh, but it also allows you to look down very quickly, which is much easier to focus on your eyes than to look at the at the back screen or back bar and then and then back down. Uh, so we, we've tried to take all of this into consideration. So if someone wants to walk up and hit start right and play, they, they really don't even need to look at the pin bar again. Uh, they can completely ignore it. But if they're a power player or used to using the features on the pin bar, uh, they can spend most of their time utilizing it during play. So we, we've tried to have the best of both worlds in creating an, a beautiful canvas uh, to add all of these extra features and abilities into the, the pinball machine, but not distract and take away from what pinball really should be. And that's you know, bashing a bunch of crap with the silver ball and having fun doing it. Great. I mean, what... When I saw the, the pinball for the first time, there were a whole bunch of possibilities leapt out of me at uh, things you could do with it. Obviously, um, starting, adding players. Um, I think you've, you've, you've Im implemented um, the vast majority of the things that came to mind for me. One thing which I haven't seen implemented yet, and maybe that's something which is coming, and or maybe you can talk about it, maybe you can't. Uh, one, of the, one of the major problems we've had at the moment is um, cash handling. You know, these days, everybody is using contactless payments. Nobody wants to put money in, in coin slots. Nobody carries money around here anyway. So I thought, um, do you have a, like an NFC reader built into the pin bar so that people can just take their phone and swipe it or their card and swipe it on the pin bar and, and buy some credits that way? And um, is that if not, is that something which you think could be added? Because um, if I walk up to that machine, I'm going to I'm going to go. I haven't got any quarters. Um, how am I going to play this game? Um, do I do I need to download an app? Obviously, you have an app. We'll come to a bit later. Um, or uh, to buy credits, or can I just use the same payment system I use with uh, every other um, vendor in the world? Uh, is that something which you could put in? So, uh, very interesting question. Yes, uh, we've already developed that behind the scenes, and we have lots of stuff that we've developed that we're not showing on Raza, and we'll, it'll come out with future titles and stuff but the the thing about on location play uh whether it's in like an arcade or a barcade or something like that um is that uh, many times they already have their own technology to deal with uh you know payment credits so um there's nothing in our system that doesn't uh restrict those uh establishments from doing it how they're doing it whether they charge a fee just to play or it's on you know free play or mm -hmm. whether it's tokens or whatever um, however, uh, through the app, uh, we do have, we will, and, and it's already, you know, been designed. It's just been left out of the code on the current app version for the pin access app. But well, we do have the ability to, um, actually pay through that, um, for, uh, uh, on location situations, if they wanted some other way to be able to generate revenue without using coins or without putting in an expensive and, you know, uh, other type of system. Yeah. In fact, the uh, IT group, uh, Turner Logic, um, actually created a, a self-pay snack system um, called SnackDot uh, before they started on pinball. Um, and it, it, it 
it, it's a very neat, a very simple interface for like a work environment for to do with like an honor, you know, snack area. And so what you do is you basically just go up, you scan the barcode on the sign on your phone, you pick what you took and it just, it either debits the credits that the employer put uh, in your account or it charges you whatever the price is. So it's a very simple, easy grab and go. And so we already have that technology built into the system. So if, if, if a location provider wanted to request using that system from us, then anyone could go with their mobile phone using pin access, scan the QR code on the pinball machine, and then they would be debited, debited whatever the credit is, uh, and it would, it would go to the, you know, the location uh, or establishment. So uh, that's already in there. Um, the, the pin bar allows us, uh, you know, a lot of interactivity with that to, to deal with those types of situations. So really, again, it, it's the blank canvas we need to do all of this, this, this future stuff that would really help. Okay, so if, if people were wanting to buy this game, um, at the moment, is it only available through the, uh, the Deep Root Pinball website, or do you have any distributors yet that people can order through? So, um, we... Um, originally had, uh, you know, just under 50 distributors that were interested uh, in Deep Root. Um, we basically have, have tried to stay uh, in touch with all of them. Um, you know, probably, you know, beginning of, of well, the end of last week, uh, definitely over the last few days, we've been working with a, a, a portion of those. Um, who have already uh, started um, looking for customers. They've signed the distri distribution agreement, which will be only for Raza. Uh, and so that process is ongoing. Um, as we've told them, and, and we're not making it a secret at all, is that we really would like to see what the difference is between direct sales and, and working with distributors. Uh, some customers like to have a, a local source uh, for help, you know, or mm, it's just what yeah. they're used to. And we don't want to turn away those types of customers. Um, but we also have a lot of other people uh, that have no problem going to the website and directly buying from us. So we're trying to have, you know, our cake and eat it too, the best of both worlds, however you want to look at it. And I think, you know, over the next few weeks with Raza, we're going to see, you know, what's working and not what isn't working. And then we're going to keep adjusting um, to what customers, how, how they want to to buy and, and get help for maintaining their machines. And, and will people get their game earlier or, or later if uh, they buy direct or through a distributor, or does it make no difference? It, it, there's no difference. Okay, so one question that, that comes to mind uh, to me, um, one of the reasons um, the, the pinball industry uses a distributor network is because like you mentioned, uh, um, if there are technical I uh, issues, if you bought a game uh, online uh, from a company in San Antonio and you're based in Seattle, Washington, and you have a technical uh, issue, it would be far more easier for your local distributor to come by and, and, and fix your game than for someone from San Antonio to fly over to um, Seattle. Um well, I'm not saying for uh, to release a stock ball, but but in case you have a fried board or something like that, you know, um, uh, that's why the pinball industry uses uh, local distributors. So, if someone buys the game on the website and they have a technical issue, how is that going to be solved? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So. 
Um, we would love to handle those issues directly from Deepgroup, whether we do some sort of a video chat, walk people through it, um, or you know the, the documentation and videos that we're going to have uh, and have already started on that will grow with time uh, as we get more and more requests. And we'll find what requests are pretty common and then throw them up. Uh, we use Zendesk uh, on the Zendesk you know, wiki or whatever. Um, so another point I want to make uh, in your comment is that we have spent years trying to um, take my frustration in maintaining Williams Valley machines and even how many other machines are made today and simplifying them. Uh, you won't find soldering done just about anywhere on the pinball machine. Uh, almost everything can be uh, either used or removed or maintained using typical tools that any person would have at home. Um, and we've uh, Molex connectors, uh, you know, um, I'm just trying to go through the gamut of things. Things that people could do on their own or if they're walked through, um, you know, over the phone or a video chat could do pretty easily and replace. Some things are going to be harder to, to get done than others just because that's how pinball machines are built. But we've tried to make most of the simpler things like, you know, changing a board out, uh, changing, uh, you know, uh, an insert uh, lead board. Um, you know, changing rings, um, you know, fiddling with something, you know, adding a mod on, on the play field, um, uh, you know, changing a, a mech out on the, on the underside. Uh, those types of things we've tried to make as easy as possible for people to do on their own or with uh, a small amount of assistance. And it's taken a lot of time and money uh, for us to simplify a lot of that um, to make it more consumer oriented rather than, um, you know, some guy who works for a local establishment who knows how to, you know, do everything with the pinball machine. Uh, so it was, it was a very different approach in how we, how we approach support. Okay. Well, we, we spent quite a lot of time talking about how the game is going to be, um, how people will be able to buy it. But one question which comes up every time we anybody asks any questions about Deep Root Pinball, and uh, Razor in particular, is... Where and how is this game actually going to be made? Because that's one thing you've showed us an, an awful lot from behind the scenes. But one thing you haven't shown us is uh, any manufacturing facilities. And people are, are questioning how and where and who is going to make this game. So is there anything you can tell us about that? Yeah, so, um, so we're in San Antonio, Texas. That is where the manufacturing facility is. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the six guests who were here back in September saw the areas that, uh, um, that were partially set up, but not fully, um, you know, making any games at that point, um, when they came in September, uh, that sense has changed. Um, so we, um, have, you know, places like every other manufacturing uh, company, uh, we have a, a place for inventory and prep work, um, and packages that, that will be given to, uh, the quads. Uh, we have a place to create the cabinet and populate it, a uh, place uh, in the quads for the assembly of the, the play fields. And then we have the mirroring uh, and the shipping and receiving. So all of those same areas um, that that any other manufacturer would have in pinball, we have. Um, right. The quads themselves are very different in how we get the, um, the play fields populated. But the rest of the areas are, are pretty, pretty similar. 
Um, we've decided not to show pictures, um, uh, especially um, uh, of what we're doing. Uh, it's those are things that I know with as much as people have laughed about quads, uh, it's a trade secret. And we don't want to let out uh, all the different unique things that we've innovated in how to get these pinball machines together and Q8 stuff. And so we haven't shown that. We were not planning to show it uh, when, you know, the six guests came here other than them seeing it and being able to describe it. So, um, you know, that's basically we're doing the same thing that I've been talking about for years uh, and that we've been designing for years uh, in an agile format, um, you know, using Kanban systems and every other, you know, manufacturing process that every other manufacturer uses. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, that's, uh, that's very interesting because obviously there was a lot of speculation about whether you'd be making it in-house, whether, you, whether you'd be contract manufacturing it, whether you ha would have a, a separate facility because obviously you, Deeproot has you know, various facilities. You, know, you have Deeproot Studios in, in Utah and you have other, other places where various assets can be, could be uh, made. But it's all, it's all happening in the, in the same design uh, building where uh, rest of the work is going on, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's actually two separate buildings. Uh, one is more of what we call dirty space. Uh, that's more heavy manufacturing. That's you know CNC, uh, mm -hmm. laser, um, sanding, spraying, all that kind of stuff. And then we have more of the light manufacturing um, and assembly in the main building here. Right, and and you're doing. You're, you're, you're manufacturing the cabinets and play fields yourself? We have vendors for some of it, of course, um, stuff that we're not doing in-house. Um, and the portions of it we, we do in-house. And the reason is, is, is honestly, it has little to do with cost and everything to do with quality and control mm. over the process. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Um, one of the um, uh, terms you... Um, Coined, I would say, and that was uh, probably already over a year ago. Was the terminology uh, or octo manufacturing? Um, people have been wondering what that is. Um, uh, can you? So octo manufacturing was a joke I did in an interview, um, as as if we were taking quad manufacturing and we're going to make it even better. Um, so I'm glad people are still taking it as a as a joke, but. No, quad manufacturing is, is as I said before, um, is basically uh, just a flex, it's a flex space. Uh, we can take uh, a quad, that is where we assemble, you know, the play field, and we can move it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we could choose air tools, uh, air uh, power tools, we can choose electrical power tools or power, you know, battery powered tools. All we need is a defined space, which I'm not going to talk about what that actual space uh, dimension is, and the components. And we can throttle quads as, as many or as few as we need, depending upon, you know, our, our volume and orders. Um, you know, if, we're, if we have a, a large set of orders and we need to throttle it, we can take uh, another space, um, fill it with quads in a day or two each, you know, just costing, you know, $1,500 to $2,000 each. And we can start popping out, uh, you know, play field assemblies. So it's that agile and flexible uh, manufacturing to reduce waste but be able to throttle volume uh, with the same amount of quality. That's what we're going for with a quad. Okay. Mm. Thanks for clearing okay. that up. So, yeah, so when you actually do start manufacturing in, uh, you say, hopefully four to six weeks after um, orders have, have uh, I guess that orders have closed and you're in a better position to know 
numbers of parts. Are you going to start making both the models, the uh, the arcade and and the extra, um, at the same time, or is one getting made first before the other? Great question. So what we've tried to do, and this is why you know I think we've been more transparent than any other you know pinball manufacturer in how we're going to deal with Raza orders. Um, mm-hmm. Future games probably very different, but for Raza, we want to make sure that our first first title out is is done right, uh, and uh, and that we avoid a lot of um, situations and, and technical issues as as it leaves. So we have a very simple system. We prioritize full payment over deposits. We prioritize the extra over the arcade edition. And right now, because CE uh, labs are so backlogged, and um, that is why our international orders um, are basically uh, expected to be after all the domestic, and I include U.S. and Canada domestic. Uh, And that's just because... um, the, the problem with CE, while it's uh, you know pretty much universal around the world, and that the core CE uh, requirements are there for all you know different countries from the EU to you know UK to Asia um, to Australia, etc. Each of those countries, even in the EU, have their own specific um, requirements for uh, electronic devices uh, being being you know sold or, or used by consumers there. And so, what we typically have to do is you have to look at you know sort of the country or region that has the strictest requirements for CE and then build to that uh, and get yeah. tested and certified for that, then everything else just kind of falls in, uh, you know, in most cases, but not all. So UL uh, has definitely been an eye-opener on what it's taken to, to get UL done and get the entire machine UL certified rather than just, you know, take, you know going off the UL off the power supply, which I know is, is is done, but we want the whole machine done and certified. And so UL took us a while to get uh, in line and queue uh, and and you know into you know the labs. And C is from from the last I heard is is pretty backlogged right now for for the types of tests that we need. So uh, we know that's going to take a little time. And so we want to be very honest with international customers and say, hey, look, we're not putting you to the back of the line on purpose. We're putting you to the back of the line because. We want to fulfill the legal requirements we need to make sure that what we deliver you uh, is is what's expected by the law in your jurisdiction. Right, and the uh, the, the hardware system, the the, uh, the computer and the electrical system that you're using in in Raza, that's is that the same system that you intend to use over the next um, batch of uh, titles of which you have announced, or um, is that something which is going to vary? according to the features and demands of, of each title? Yeah, good question. Um, I'm going to separate them. So the the computer itself, we're using basically, um, you know, similar to what several other manufacturers are using to drive, you know, multiple high-risk screens to run mm-hmm. the Unity game engine, which a lot of our front end is running. Uh, it, it needs more power than, you know, basic, you know, um, single processor boards, right, or, or yeah, development. Yeah, 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 graphics Big bone, you know, Raspberry Pi and all that. So we have, we have a, a, I don't know if it's a mini or micro board, uh, ATX board uh, with a, a normal processor or graphics uh, card and all that. That can be throttled. If some games are going to need more power in the Unity engine, um, then we can throttle that. Um, but the actual electrical system itself, that's our unique and custom-made power supplies, uh, driving of the rails, um, you know, that, that are needed for all the components, the boards, the electrical system, 
um, for you know the solenoids, uh, lamps, switches, motors, um, all of that. All of that is pretty much set for a five to seven year period. Right. Okay. Um, so, um, since you mentioned the, uh, uh, the, the the graphics in the game and and how they're being um, uh, controlled, uh, that that sort of makes me uh, jump to Deep Root Studios uh, in Utah. Um, can you? Explain how Deep Root Studios is related to Deep Root Pinball and and how they interact with each other and and, and what the thought behind uh, those two different companies is and um, uh, having them collaborate. Um, so there, there's endless amounts of studios out there that do art and animation. The problem is, is pinball is very unique in the development of art and animation. Um, from the art side, uh, a lot of it is is driven between um, you know two D print on, on on you know printed uh, media uh, versus um, you know being able to do either two D or three D work um, for the actual animation. And the problem we were having is getting uh, studios to understand the requ unique requirements of pinball on, on how what type of screen it would be, what the interaction would be. And what the the you know deliverables have to be, and so um, not only that it was very expensive. Um, definitely, studios charge a crazy amount uh, of of overhead um, whenever you contract with them, and so it just became very clear as we already had uh, a lot of people who um, were very good artists and animators uh, that in in Utah area. It just made sense to create just our own studio, and that studio has taken on different you know. Um, you know, projects and dis, you know, and directions uh, over the years that it's been open. Um, the core of it has always been pinball, um, and so not only do we have two D work, uh, and Roz is very unique because a lot of the the basis for the artwork came from Matt and Jeremy. Um, so we we didn't create uh, any of that. Uh, it, you know, the impetus for it. We just had to take what was already given to us and then create the rest of it around that so that's why you know jeremy got upset with me when i when i called raza artwork sort of a hack job i wasn't talking about his work his work is great what i was talking about is us getting the rest of the artwork for raza finalized and getting the art and animation built out um, is a hack job because it's really taking some that he did some that matt did stuff that we've done and trying to get it together into one cohesive uh, art and animation package and i think we've done a great job at the end of the day, uh, if I didn't tell you that, you probably wouldn't have even guessed. Um, but it is what it is. Now, all of our future titles, um, with the exception of maybe Magic Girl and Alice in Wonderland, um, all of the other titles have been done from scratch in-house. And so um, getting, getting artists to understand, you know, um, what pinball enthusiasts expect in a printed art package and then, you know, working out two different pipelines in the studios, one for 2D work and one for 3D, um, it took a lot of time and it took a lot of money and it took a lot of uh, effort to try to work through those pipelines, get them set up, understand what the final deliverables would be in a pinball package. And I think over, over the years, we've, I'm glad that we set up the studios and I'm grateful for everyone who's been a part of the studios because 
uh, it's been a it's been its own journey, right? Um, and they should be very proud of the deliverables in Raza. And as you see, future titles come out. They, you, you know, they, they should be very proud of the work they've done, creating all of this from scratch and redefining um, sort of how art and animation are used in a pinball machine. Right. Was, was the studio also involved in the development of the the graphics for the the pin bars, um, sort of system menus and and um, sort of the underlying operation of the of the game rather than the, the actual game specific artwork yes or was that done they, they, they did that mm -hmm. uh it was a mix uh we have uh, some creative people here in texas too um we had our unity programmers in U utah for a long period of time and it just wasn't working um with trying to remotely uh collaborate and so we have moved uh, all the Unity development here with uh, with a lot of our creative and, and design people. Oh, right, okay. I was going to ask you about uh, how it was or how it was working, uh, working across different uh, different uh, buildings and, and uh, different uh, locations. But I think you just answered that one. Yeah, it's. I'll just I'll just sum it up for you. It, it was a it was a disaster, um, <laughs> and it's something you know. There's a lot of things you don't expect um, when when you start, you know, a new business. Uh, and, and, and in our uh, case, trying to collaborate remotely, uh, well before the pandemic, of course, um, mm. proved to be a, a, a huge, huge uh, obstacle. And we've had to be flexible. We've had to try things and we've had to continue working on uh, collaborating from a distance and and, and and the one thing that we didn't have is that most of the people who've come here, nearly all of them, have not been from the pinball world. And while that's a good thing in many ways, uh, because it brings fresh insight, it brings new approaches, it brings talent into pinball, right, uh, that can be then used for pinball purposes. One of, one of the problems is, is that a lot of the things that pinball enthusiasts take for, uh, enthusiasts take for granted uh, you know, people who are coming in don't um, like. Um, I think trying to explain to them what a bonus sequence was, you know, at the end of a, a ball drain, uh, trying to explain what that was and why it's there, I think um, was very surprising to a lot of people. You know, uh, game match at the very end uh, after you drain your last ball is was also you know a, a, a concept <laughs> yes. that was very foreign to a lot of them and so we take for granted because we play a lot we know these things we were used to seeing these things and experiencing these things when we play actually designing on the other end of the um under end of the table uh it becomes a lot more difficult if you have a lot of people that have to learn organically uh what these simple concepts are for for pinball enthusiasts and you know we've, we've had to deal with that and we've i think we've done a very good job of, of giving everyone who comes in a really good primer Great. Okay. Um, can we can we look at um, basically what's being offered for for potential buyers at this precise moment, as far as um, the two models go? Um, now, one of the things that uh, I haven't well, there's, there's a number of questions I need to ask about this, and I'm sure Jonathan does too. Um, but one of the key ones, I suppose, is going to be: is the uh, are there any differences in the in the gameplay between the arcade and the extra models, or is it uh, more cosmetic and as to, to what toys and are on the playfield and how they how they operate and and things like lighting and is is the game itself the same for those two models? 
So one of the decisions we made uh, as a core, um, you know, um, constraint uh, in our creative design was just to make sure that no matter what edition that, that you got, that the gameplay would be the same. Um, having to create different branches of code, especially with our code being as complicated, the most complicated, I think, um, you know, of, of any pinball machine ever, um, it, it, it would just be overwhelming, right? And especially when we start bringing in out new rule sets and new ways to play and challenges and all those things, you know, in, in the years to come. Um, we, we don't want to get into a situation where we just we just kill ourselves with with code, uh, you know, um, etc. So anyway, yeah, to answer your sure. question, what we've tried to do um, with that constraint is create the same gameplay experience, whether you're getting the arcade, the XC, or the extra. The only difference will be perhaps uh, additional features on next um, um, for the extra. For instance, uh, the extra for Raza has a shaking uh, motor net. Um, whereas the arcade just has a stationary net. Um, so that would be the only difference you would see in our additions where, is where we sort of add a something that, that just enhances the gameplay but doesn't change the rule set or the gameplay at all. Right. Interacting like, with the ball. Just like if you, if you, whether you have a topper or you don't have a topper. Right. Now, Goonies, I will say this. Um, right now, and this could change, but Goonies will not have anything that's interacting with the ball, but the difference between the budget and the extra on Goonies um, will have the feature uh, and very prominent mech will be different, but it's not anything that's interacting with the ball. Uh, and so uh, I don't know how you really define, you know, mm -hmm. um, gameplay um, differences, uh, you know, between, um, between additions, but what we're trying to do is whether you have the budget edition or whether you have the high end, you know, edition is to make sure that the, the rule set and the gameplay is the same. There might be some other mix or other features that might do something else to enhance it and make it a little nicer, a little bit more pizzazz, but mm -hmm. uh, the gameplay itself will not be different. Right. right. So yeah. I think we just had official confirmation that uh, Deepwood is working on Goonies. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, can you also reveal who is the designer for that game? The designer for Goonies? Yes. Yeah, Osler. Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, obviously, Barry is a, uh, a veteran pinball designer, so he should know his way well, around uh, a theme I, like that. If I really let Barry go, he could create a game a month. I mean, the, the dude's a work workhorse. Um, and so we, we've had to dial him back um, and, uh, and, and basically... Um, um, you know, focus more on building out and enhancing what he's done on a lot of these games. And he's been a real champ. He's gotten better and better at it. Um, and you have, you have someone on the other end of the spectrum, like John, who, you know, who, John Papaduke, who basically, you know, has a core design pretty much and then keeps fiddling with it forever, right? Right. And so you have, you know, two very good designers that create two very, you know, have their own unique take on uh, pinball design, but they're different ends of the spectrum uh, as far as, you know, how they approach uh, a final uh, version of their design. Right. Okay. So, yeah. um, now, since you mentioned Goonies, uh, one of the things that I was wondering about um, in September when, uh, after uh, you had these uh, six VIPs coming over and eventually that resulted in a uh, postponing of the, uh, the the planned reveal of Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. Um, 
days after that, um, numerous upcoming titles for uh, Deep Root Pinball were announced. Uh, many uh, original themes, um, a hint towards uh, what has been uh, confirmed as Goonies. Why announce all these games um, up front? Because it's, it, it might take a year before some of those, or even longer, uh, even go into production. Why announce them now already? Because that's very uncommon in the pinball industry. I am. I, I don't like what uh, how the pinball industry is so dysfunctional on so many things. I mean, why why not have a list of what's coming up? Um, uh, not only is it transparent, um, you're definitely going to get a lot of customers uh, who are going to be excited about it, looking forward to it. And, and perhaps in a lot of the discussion about some of these upcoming titles, maybe, maybe some of that chat or discussion, you know, is, is good for us to throw an idea or two that we didn't think about, but someone else did that would be fun in there. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no problem with allowing organic um, collaboration on a lot of these designs. I'm not saying that would ever happen, um, but um, for us... Um, that was one reason that I had decided uh, quite some time ago that I just was going to list out, you know, the first slate of games. Uh, there's a lot more games that we're working on that has been that work has been done on that we did not announce, including licenses, um, which we kept just to really two main licenses. Uh, there are others, um, but we're not going to talk about them at this point. Um, there'll be perhaps surprises, perhaps not, but most importantly. Uh, I'm just I'm sick and tired of people leaking stuff in the industry. I mean, nothing, nothing is sacred. I can't tell Zidware customers something without someone leaking it. I can't have you know six people come in here as guests without someone leaking it. And that I was able to go uh, for years uh, and have very few, if any, leaks from the company. I uh, I, I have to be you know consider myself very blessed. But the second we start a sharing information, allowing other people from the pinball community in, leaks just can't stop. And so what I'm just going to do, what I wanted to do is get stuff out there so um, we get ahead of any leaks that happen from, you know, the six guests that came in, um, but also, you know, future leaks. Uh, a lot of our studious people have posted, um, you know, a lot of artwork and animation that they've done on their personal social media and stuff. And so, uh, for some future titles. And so all of these things go to is I'd rather control the message uh, and, and, uh, and, and get it out there rather than having to continue to try to trust people and them letting me down over and over again. And I will say not just me, there are a lot of people here in, in, in the company that have been very, very uh, much let down and very frustrated with not only ex-employees, but other people we've trusted that didn't keep that trust. It is, it is definitely, it affects the whole team, uh, and it's a serious issue that, that you know, we, we take very seriously here at Deep Root. Right. Would you, would you say that uh, that experience has sort of somewhat soured you and, you and the rest of your team on uh, interacting too closely with um, social media uh, people and um, the press? Or is that, um, is that something that you just realize you're going to, you're going to have to deal with in the future and, um, and just, just, just handle it, really? Yeah, so it's a balance. Uh, and I think, that, um, I think that there's some people uh, uh, that I've burned a bridge with and, or burned a bridge with me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there have been others that have been very honorable. Um, and we're going to continue to strike that balance because, you know, we want to, we want to try to uh, bend over backwards to have good relationships um, with not only the pinball press, um, but also um, consumers. But it's going to be a long time um, and a lot of healing before we allow anyone else uh, very deep into what we're doing here uh, at Deep Root again. Uh, and that's just, unfortunately, there's a few bad actors, uh, you know, in every industry that kind of run it for everyone. And, and that's one that we're just having to deal with that balance of, of getting people excited and sharing, you know, things, but also not sharing too much, which goes back to one of your questions about why we didn't you know, have any like heads up, you know, Hey, we're going to pop a website up here in a couple of days and orders are going to start. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. we're just going to, we're going to act like any other company does in any other industry. And we're just going to do our thing. Um, and, uh, we're going to, we're going to crank out some great games, uh, and, and keep working from title to title and, and creating something new with each title. So. Okay. Well, one of the things you have been very, um, upfront about, and, um, it's, it's been a hot topic recently for, well, several companies in the in the pinball industry is the uh, the problems that uh, have existed with playfield manufacturing and clear coating in particular. And uh, and you've been uh, it's a while back when you were last talking about the pin armor playfield protection, um, but you haven't really sort of given us much detail about that. Um, and maybe that is a a trade secret that uh, that you don't want to reveal any more about. But but can you tell us anything about how it how it's different from the standard clear coat that other manufacturers use, um, and and those other manufacturers or some of them certainly have suffered effects from pooling and delamination of the the coat and and the artwork in the past. Is that something which uh, you are confident and can guarantee won't happen to your playfields with the pin armor protection? So it, it's often you know difficult uh, you know as. Whether you know there's uh, old wood or new wood or whatever, you, you strike something with a steel ball, uh, it's it's probably going to leave a mark, um, and um, that you have a lot of older machines that have resisted it, uh, uh, you know, and and a lot of newer ones that haven't have to do with just process, um, and it's taken us years to work through that process. The process that that we had for when the six guests came to to Texas. Um, I mean, I, I have not posted the, the hammer test video. Um, no. I might in the future. Um, but let me tell you what, uh, Lauren sat there and was smacking it. Uh, and I had to take the hammer away from her cause I thought she was, <laughs> I thought she was going to hurt herself. But, uh, anyway, uh, I hope Lauren laughs at that. Uh, it, it was, it was a funny experience as she was just smacking, uh, the, you know, what out of the play field with the hammer didn't leave a mark. Uh, the problem, um, I think that a lot, and I don't think it's a problem, personally, it's, it's a trade-off, right? But the, the, the problem that a lot of the, the, the six guests uh, didn't like is that there were some race surfaces from some of the artwork, um, and it was a little bit more orange peel. Not like mm. it's been dimpled, but just, just kind of wavy. And they, yeah. they felt that you know, they'd rather have a dimpled gloss surface than that, and I completely disagree. So what we've done over the last uh, two and a half months or so is we've been able to get, um, you know, a much more glossy surface on the pen armor and, you know, people who are what's brewing and all of those pictures uh, of those machines are using that updated um, um, coating. 
and uh, it's a it's a it's it's a strong coating. Um, it it resists a lot of the things that uh, have been you know plaguing other you know manufacturers uh, or vendors, um, and we're pretty happy about it. I mean, I, I don't like buying a very expensive, you know, whatever, and then suddenly, you know, something you expected to, to be, you know, um, part of that experience is no longer there. I mean, if we if we bought a car and, you know, the wind was started putting, you know, dents in the, in the, in the, uh, the outside of the car, uh, we'd be like, well, it's probably a manufacturing defect there, um, et cetera, you know? Uh, and so it's one of those things just that we're having to balance, you know, um, the cost of offering that standard um, mm-hmm. with the aesthetics that pinball enthusiasts kind of want, and I think there'll be differing opinions uh, from different people, uh, with actually getting it out in, in homes and letting people see uh, the, the you know the sheer amount of work that went into getting that that beautiful surface the way it was. Right. So it's, a, it's something which you could carry on working on if the, if you had forever, really, is it? To try and find the the ideal. A combination of uh, smooth surface and, and and hardness. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think the aesthetics of it is difficult because I think that um, pinball machines, uh, especially you know this decade, uh, or, or should I say last decade and, and continuing into this decade, uh, the surface uh, sheen has gotten more glossy. Um, and the mm. problem is when you get glossy, it shows everything. Uh, there, there's no hiding uh, anything really. Um, and that's why the dimple problem uh, and maybe some of the other pooling problems are a lot more evident. Uh, if you had more of a, a, of a controlled and aesthetically pleasing orange peel like what we had when showed the success, I think that you'd have a lot more ability to still have a beautiful surface from you know where you normally stand rather than looking really close at it. Uh, and you'd have you'd be able to to basically um, you know, make it a lot stronger. So the problem is the sheen and the gloss. Um, and so what we've tried to do with our recipe is try to have the gloss there, right? Um, yeah. So it's 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 almost in, indiscernible, um, but still try to keep the the protection uh, and the the light reflection that's there to try to avoid um, any imperfections in in that in that clear coating. Mm-hmm. I see. Right. I don't know if Jonathan's got a, another question he wants to ask. Yeah, uh, but it's not or... related to uh, to clear code, so I'm um, not sure right. whether. Yeah. Uh, it, can we close off that topic? Then um, uh, one of the other hot topics in uh, pinball and a never-ending topic it seems to be is uh, the status of the code. Um, can you indicate how far the uh, software for Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland is uh, finished? Or do you, uh, when do you expect it to be finished? Um, and I also noticed on the website that there is... Um, very uh, a subscription form to be to to receive software updates uh, after purchasing a game. Uh, can you elaborate on that as well? Yeah. Um, so you know, it's difficult to understand with some of the other manufacturing uh, manufacturers because that's who we're going to be compared to. Um, so you have to you have to have some some comment about the comparison. It's, it's often difficult to understand what their versioning uh, model is, right? When, when is something really final? And I know that a lot of them are still updating their code years later, right? Uh, 
Uh, and I'm, I'm not just talking about adding new things, but, but you know, updating bug fixes and stuff like that. So um, what we want to do and what our goal has been for code is when the game ships uh, with what we call final code, right? It, it is what it is. It, it's, it's code that is intended. Um, if we were to stop making any changes to the code, it's intended to be code that would last a user uh, or take them through the whole game, right? Right. Um, now we know that most people, um, you know, when when they're playing their game, expect updates for bug fixes and and perhaps some filling out of of the rule set with some additional modes and stuff like that. All of that's included in the price of the game, right? Um, for you know, one year after the game is released or, or you purchase it, which, whichever is later. You know, that's I think what uh, pinball consumers are, are getting. Um, uh, from other pinball manufacturers for the most part and what they expect, right? Um, when we talk about downloadable content or, or subscriptions and stuff like that, which I knew are, are very taboo in pinball but are used very, very well uh, and efficiently and, and I think ethically in a lot of other uh, gaming industries, uh, what we're talking about is things that, that are beyond what you would normally expect with a pinball. Uh, you know, more rule sets, right? Instead of the normal rule set that, that you bought it with, maybe Steve creates one where it's a time challenge, right? Um, or he creates a whole new rule set that switches up how you get multi-balls uh, and, and what you do when you hit you know, certain switches or, or lanes or ramps or whatever. And those types of things, in addition to what we intend to be challenges where you can play against anyone else's rule set, um, you know, uh, those types of things, uh, you know, perhaps additional media, those things are extra. And so it costs money, especially when we have a complex system like what we have. It costs a lot of money to develop that extra add-on content. And so what we've tried to do is create uh, a, a very price-conscious value option for users. And as we get more Deep Root games out there, it covers all Deep Root games, not just a specific game is to create a way for them to get all of this extra content uh, at a value proposition that also makes sense for us in developing all that extra content. And so while there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be up in arms, most of them are never going to buy our games anyway. Um, or uh, they haven't yet seen um, what we intend to offer. And until they do, they're just guessing about anything. So those are types of situations that, that we'll just deal with when we announce what the terms of a subscription or DLC is going to be. And uh, we want to wait until there are some, you know, several deeper machines out there. So, so it's actually a value proposition that makes sense to, to a consumer. Right. It, it seems that uh, one, of the, one of the problems you, you would have there then is that not so much you, but a potential buyer of the game would, would be, what is the game I'm buying? You know what? What is it going to be when it's completed? You know, is it going to include X, but not include Y because Y is going to be an additional um, little bit of DLC. I'm going to going to have to pay extra for, or is that going to be included? You know, are you able to put in front of a buyer? A, this is the offer. This is the game. It's going to have all this stuff in it, um, and that's what that's what we guarantee you will get. If you buy it now, yeah. So two responses. First, uh, I would never want a consumer worried about um, that 
you know, worried about having to download or buy extra content just to play their game. That's not what we're referring to. Um, we're referring to optional, completely optional content that enhances the game. I mean, how many times have I played Circus Voltaire and I've never beaten it and, you know, probably haven't even gotten close, uh, you know, et cetera, over hundreds and hundreds of plays, right? But would it also be fun, even though I haven't beaten it, to go on and play a different, completely, you know, play Circus Voltaire in a completely different way using the same, you know, fixed physical play, play field? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably pay money for that. Um, and, I, and I know for Circus Voltaire, that's why I'm bringing it up is, you know, some home ROMs were, were released years ago that allow yeah. you to change up some of the rules. And so what I'm saying is, is because um, software is more dynamic and can be updated with our machine, uh, at, you know, on demand or at a moment's mm -hmm. notice, it doesn't make sense to continue to do what pinball manufacturers continue to do. It's basically, hey, you can only play this one way and we're going to take years to, to really get you full code. Uh, and not that you ever wanted full code. Uh, and you know what? Uh, sucks to be you. And so we, we, you know, think that there's a completely different way to approach this. Um, and while it isn't even known yet, I think that people are up in arms. And, you know, over time, I think it'll become a lot more clear. Um, and I, I think the way I described it to Steve as a second way to answer this, um, when he was designing the rule set, is, is, is probably the best way I'll describe it you know, here. And that is to say, look, 99% of users should not be able to finish the rule set we ship with, right? Um, and, and that sort of, you know, while it's, a, it's, it's definitely not objective, it's more of a subjective standard, um, it's really what our goal is. You know, if, if, if 80, 90, 95, 99% of players couldn't get through a rule set when we, when we launch, then I think it's a win. Um, and as you know, over the a year after each of these titles come out, and we continue to add more modes at no cost uh, to to users. I think that's a fair bargain, uh, especially at the prices that we're offering for much better uh, interactivity and software and code and, and, and content with our machine than than really you know what we feel any other you know pinball machine. So uh, you know, definitely, this is a point of competition. Uh, there might be some other competitors that use that to their advantage to basically say, hey, we're not like Deep Root and not going to make you pay for more content. Well, that's deceptive, right? Um, and, you know, if they want to take on that extra content and 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 those expenses that it's going to take to develop that content on out of their out of their you know original purchase price, and that's their business decision. Um, we felt that we wanted to have a cost sharing with our consumers where not everyone wants the optional. Uh, you know, extra stuff and wants to pay extra for it. And so what we've tried to do is take that balanced approach and saying, hey, look, here's what you get with every other pinball machine from every other competitor. We're going to provide that the same, but we're going to do something additional. We're going to create some additional content for those who want it. And that content is going to enhance the gameplay for, for years to come. And so that, that optional and enhanced proposition is sort of how we're looking at a subscription and or DLC uh, kind of approach. Okay. Okay. The, the natural kind of extension to that would be what happens if I buy your game and I think, oh, I think I could write a better rule set for this. So I, I come to you and say, I would like to be able to write my own rules and for them to be able to be downloaded uh, and sold as uh, DLC. Um, is that possible? Uh, are you going to open this up to third parties to develop 
for your games or is it is it strictly in-house only? So all of our tools could be used by any third party. Uh, we spent a lot of time just you know, making our core game engine and creating uh, GUIs and other other easy ways to create these rule sets. Um, and so the answer is yes, but I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to tip our hat to what we're going to be offering in the future uh, regarding that. Right. Then if you um, allow me to chime in on this subject, the um, so there's a subscription model that would include certain um, software updates. What if a year from now, somebody has uh, decided to sell their Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland game to someone else. Uh, the original buyer never had a subscription model, so he missed out on all the uh, other stuff. But the new owner of the game is like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, does that mean that once he gets a subscription, he can download everything that has been uh, developed in the meantime? And then cancel the subscription because he's got all the, the the updates that he wants and and that's it. Or how does it work for someone who buys a used Deep Root game uh, to to dive into that pool of of extra software if it's not already on that game? So um, that, that's a very good question. Uh, the the first thing I would say um, basically is is that our policy. Um, which is you know comes directly from legal counsel and it's it's like this for most uh, you know electronics products you buy with code with it is that our support and our warranty only applies um, to the original purchaser. It does not apply to any any other party that the game is later resold to. Um, the second thing I would say is that of course, um, every company has dealt with customer service um, scenarios like this on a regular basis. And we, like every other company, want to make sure that we treat each case on a case-by-case -case basis to make sure that we try to take care of the people, whether they gave us the original money or not, uh, for, for the game. Uh, the next thing is, is, is uh, more directly to your question, is I don't know if, if I or anyone else here has um, basically decided with, with, um, with any definity whether or not we're going to extend beyond a year uh, when we get to a year you know, from, from Raza development um, or whether you know, someone who buys the game and the person who originally owned it didn't upgrade with all the code and stuff. Um, you know, whether we're going to continue to allow that uh, to be downloaded, uh, you know, the last version that ended at that year, or whenever we stopped the development, I, I would say that it would be very easy for us to do that there. I mean, there's no reason for us not to do it the, the money that's been spent on that has already been spent. The purchase has already been made. So allowing the last, you know, final code after we stop development, whether it's a year or a year and a half or whatever it is. For anyone to download that has the game, it doesn't cost us anything. So um, while I haven't, you know, put it in writing and I haven't created, you know, a policy, a deeper, there's no reason why we wouldn't allow that to happen because there's no cost really for us um, providing final code um, when it comes to the final, you know, the final version uh, of code at the end of development for any particular game. One of the big problems is is that you know while the platform is is the same, 
maintaining a very, very complex um, uh, set of branches of code is, is very difficult. And the longer you go from a game, it's going to be a lot more cost uh, is a lot more costly for developers here to go back and get re um, re um, educated or familiar with that code again. And so it's that much more. If I have you know someone say, "Hey, look, three years uh, you know from Raza, hey guys, go back and add a couple things or fix these things in the code," it just doesn't make a lot of financial sense to the company to do that because it, it's going to cost tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars to really go back, relearn the code without breaking something and, and to update stuff. So at, at some point, there's going to be an end of life, as there is for every hardware and software out there. There's going to be some end of life point that we're going to stop development on each title, especially as we get more and more and more titles and our code becomes that much more complex. Yeah, makes sense. Um, now, all this uh, this code update, of course, relies on having internet connectivity in order to uh, download it, along with the, the DLC. Uh, now, you'll um, touch a little bit about the wireless connectivity of your games. There is a PC-based system, but uh, you say it's running um, with a dual Wi-Fi uh, internet-enabled pin OS. Uh, what's, the, what's the dual Wi-Fi bit about? And also, what's Tell us about this um, this worldwide omni-channel access which uh, you've been promoting, but I haven't really heard anything much about it other than the fact that it allows you to access games when they are in an off state. Well, off, I assume you mean standby state. Uh, can you can you tell us about the wireless access to your games? Yeah, so we have double uh, or dual or triple uh, dongle access, and the reason is, um, and it. it Believe me, it was it was very difficult to try to understand if we're going to throw Wi-Fi or Internet connectivity onto a machine, then we have to think through all the scenarios that a user uh, or a machine would be in uh, in order to allow it to happen. And it's not as easy as, as one would think. Uh, it's actually quite complicated. And we ran into a lot of... Um, lot of issues in implementing them. Uh, that's why you haven't seen a lot of internet connectivity amongst other manufacturers uh, for, for many years after it was you know, potentially available. It's, it's not just a plug and play you know, kind of situation. Um, and so now that we have the pin bar and we can you know, deal with you know, Wi-Fi and, and other connection issues with the touchscreen, uh, the, the problem became getting a streamless and very efficient customer user experience uh, and then trying to, to figure out what's going to happen when the machine is connected, if the machine is not connected. Does, does the person using a pen access app with a phone that's connected to Wi-Fi or the Internet or not? All of those different combinations um, were, were very complicated to, to kind of go through. So to answer your question about the, the dual Wi-Fi dongle, is what we found is that the user experience for a, a single Wi-Fi dongle was very poor. Uh, there was a lot of waiting for the connecting, especially if the machine wasn't connected to the Internet, uh, you know, through the phone uh, app and stuff like that, uh, uh, trying to get data back and forth. So what we, what we found is the easiest way uh, is just to have two Wi-Fi dongles. doesn't cost us a lot more to do that. Uh, some of the machines have three, uh, and there's a specific technological reason for that. I'm not going to disclose. Um, so, uh, that helps increase the ability for the user to log in 
uh, or for the machine to update or do anything that requires internet connectivity. Mm. As far as um, your, your second question, and really that's you know fancy you know marketing slang versus yeah. reality. And what we're trying to convey is is very simple: is that no matter where you are in the world, as long as you have a machine connected to the internet or you have a phone that's connected to the internet, you can not only load your preferences on the machine, but you're able to save your scores and participate in the pin access, you know, Deep Roots pin access community. Um, and so that's that's what we what we mean by that. And and really, that's it. Um, you know, if, if the machine isn't connected to the internet uh, and you don't have a phone with pin access on it connected to the internet, then you're just playing pinball the normal way, right? You're not going to be able to save your score, um, and you're not going to be able to save your your or look through your game log, uh, shot log, or whatever, uh, and you're not going to be able to update your machine. Um, so it's really up to each uh, consumer or you know operator that buys these machines how they want their machine set up and what they want to allow. And we want to make sure that um, uh, they can make the most out of it that they, they choose to. And the, the game would normally be permanently powered, would it? And when you turn it off, you don't turn it off. You put it into sleep mode, but it's in such a state that it can wake up and update itself overnight or at an appropriate time. Yeah, so, so you have a couple options. First, you can turn on and off your machines. Um, yet, since it is uh, a micro or mini, whatever it is, ATX with the normal processor, you want to be careful just like you are with any computer, not, not to cycle something as quick as you would an old like Williams Valley game that was solid state. Um, so th that's, that's, of course, the first thing there. Um, the, the second thing is, is that, you know, as, as you're basically going through the process of, of setting up your machine and maintaining your machine, you have the options to decide what when do you want it to sleep uh, if you wanted to keep it on? And, you know, many of our games are just left running. Um, you know, from time to time, the fan noise does. You can start hearing a little bit as, you know, heat might build up um, in there. And, you know, as much as we, we deal with, you know, heat channeling and stuff, uh, heat's still going to build up. There's a, there's a lot of components and a lot of things generating heat there. Uh, and so it might cycle on or off. So that would be the only downside to kind of leaving it on is, is you might hear just a slight hum, just like you would with any other computer, right? Uh, if mm -hmm. you leave it on a long time and there's some heat buildup there. So, uh, but otherwise, there's really it's up to them, uh, the user, whether they turn it off uh, manually with the on-off switch or they just leave it on and it goes to sleep after all. Right. Okay. And uh, just one thing you mentioned there is about the pin access app. Is um, everything I've seen so far indicated it was uh, iOS only? App. Is, that, is that correct, or is there an Android version as well? So it's iOS only, uh, and that's because um, of the direction we wanted to take at first uh, in discussing with Turner Logic, uh, the team that you know designed and built it out. Uh, mm -hmm. We want to make sure that before we start spending a lot of money, and I know there's people are going to be yelling at the. the at their phones or whatever they're listening to, hey, you know, there's lots of you know software packages that do both at the same time, and we know, uh, but we decided to stick with you know one at, at first to make sure um, everything went very smoothly, and then eventually we'll we'll uh, we'll get a, a Google or Google Play or whatever it is um, package out. Uh, I can't tell you when. Uh, it's basically just going to have to come with priority uh, down the road. Mm. It seems odd that you bring it out on the on the second uh, most popular iOS uh, OS 
rather than uh, the most popular OS. But uh, I, think, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the team was definitely uh, has had done a lot of iOS apps, and so it was uh, right. it was a situation of using developers that were much more comfortable one way than the other. Um, but um, at the end of the day, it's what we chose to do, uh, and you know, we, we completely understand there might be some other options. Uh, that people will need, and we'll work on them when when we get uh, the highest priority stuff kind of moved down the list. Okay, right. So, um, speaking of uh, things down the road, um, you in, in September you announced a number of titles, uh, upcoming titles for Deep Root. Can you already um, announce which is coming? Uh, uh, what titles we can expect right after uh, Retro Atomic Zombie Adventureland. And then I know a lot of people are, are looking forward to Goonies. Um, you know, I believe it's, was it the 35th anniversary is in June sometime? Um, so it would be really nice to be able to get Goonies uh, out around, um, uh, you know, at or around or before uh, next June. Um, and so um, you know that would be kind of cool, but you know we'll see. We'll see how, th how things go. Um, it appeared to me, maybe it was just on my side, but it appeared to me that you no, were we, dropping away for. Yeah, we lost you. We lost you for a second, so I. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid, sorry. Um, I, 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 I missed the first. Truck. I first. I missed the first part of your answer. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, I, we I came back. The, the, the food goodies. truck is, is next. Ah, okay. Right. So, and is it uh, since? Uh, Raza has a, uh, a limited time frame. Uh, does that mean that's going to be announced already in January, or or that ordering for food trucks starts in January, or is that uh, yet to be uh, decided on? Uh, I don't know when food truck will be announced. It really depends on uh, our load um, for orders for Raza, uh, and uh, while you know most of the animations um, and uh, the playfield etc. are pretty final for food truck, and the art's pretty final. Um, there's definitely some small things that we want to touch up and, and complete uh, and, and get the Unity work uh, finalized. Uh, before we we're ready to start building the uh, the finals that we want to show off, so uh, there's going to be some time there um, to to get that done. And right now, our, our goal uh, is to focus on Raza. We want to get these Razas out as quick as possible, um, and we want to get the you know the line uh, efficient, up and running. You know, throwing out quality stuff the first time and not having to deal with a lot of QA issues. So that that's our goal right now. Uh, food truck will come when food truck comes, uh, and uh, we'll we'll be sure to let everyone know. Okay. Okay. Thanks. And um, going back to to Raza, as as we are on the website, as you said, you can uh, you can customize your game quite extensively. If it's the if it's the arcade version, if you buy the uh, the extra with all the uh, bells and whistles already in it, then uh, there's, there's not a lot of customization to be done other than uh, how it is shipped to you, pretty much. But um, on the arcade version, there are a lot of uh, options which you can add, uh, not all of which are explained as to exactly what they are and how they, how they, uh, well, what effect they have on the game. Uh, we'll go through a few of those with you now. Uh, one of them, for instance, would be it says that uh, there is um, 
there is GI lighting as is available as an option. Now, that's uh, GI lighting is kind of something which people take for granted as being part of the game. So, is this um, regular playfield lighting, or is it uh, some additional LED strips, um, sort of like the pin stadium system, or something similar, which uh, which people would buy? Yeah, it's the latter. Uh, definitely, uh, Pin Stadium uh, offers you know some some good products. So we don't want to get into uh, you know a naming match. And I mm -hmm. think at the end of the day, uh, we just called it GI lighting uh, or general illumination uh, in a very generic sense. But I can understand uh, the point you're making, uh, as GIs typically is you know uh, lighting on the top of the playfield as well. Yeah, uh, maybe we'll the end of the swing shots. And sounds like we do need a little description there, and I'll get IT and see if they can throw something on there. That's a pretty good point. But really, it's it's the three-sided uh, overhead LED lights that attach to the glass frame. Right. Yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, the standard pin kit care package, um, what does that give a buyer? Um, what's actually included in that standard care package? Yeah, I... This, this is a really good uh, point as well. Um, and all the iterations and revisions of the website, especially in the last few weeks, some things kind of unfortunately get, get left out of translation. And some of the tools, uh, tool tips here uh, definitely didn't make it. So the, the standard pin kit care packages, we basically give uh, a couple of the components directly to consumers, uh, as well as you know, some cleaners and stuff like that. Uh, so like you know, a couple lead chips, uh, some wiring and stuff like that, things that would likely, uh, you know, wear out over right. time okay. um, yeah. or wear out quickly, uh, basically are in that package. And as a part of uh, the the purchase price, they can just get a, 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 you know, they basically get what it is. So it's basically a discount off of, you know, wear and tear items uh, would be the best way to kind of explain that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then you have um, two sort of extensions which, which you can buy. You can buy an enhanced support and an extended warranty. Now, what, again, no, uh, how, how extended and how enhanced are those? Uh, what, what does the enhanced support give you that, uh, that regular, that you don't get as standard? And uh, how, how extended is the warranty? Yeah, so, so basically it depends on whether you're U.S. or whether you're international. And actually, when you go through the checkout process, this is all explained during the checkout process itself. Um, and, uh, you know, it was basically, um, a decision from, from legal not to place it directly on the website, um, outside of the checkout process. So, um, we'll see if we get any questions or not, but when you go through the checkout process, it is, it is listed out. Um, and, uh, basically the difference is enhanced support, uh, basically is, is more or less of a, a priority queue and getting things done and it provides, um, video um, support um, for the life of your machine rather than just for a period of time um, with the standard one. Right, oh, I see. And um, is, is this all going to be exactly the same if you buy it through a, a dealer or if you buy it direct? So whether if you buy through a dealer, uh, there's really no difference in the price. So if a dealer is offering anything, then yeah. they're offering it for whatever you know commission or or just to keep the customer well so again most of our support and, and warranty stuff is meant for us deep root to be dealing with a lot of these these issues and and support requests and so that's why we've offered uh, these two packages look if a customer buys uh, something 
uh, buys a package and then later doesn't feel like they need it anymore, we're going to work with that customer. If a customer buys a machine then realizes later, hey, you know what, you know, support or warranty package probably would have been nice, we're going to work with that customer, um, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's one of those things like every company has to deal with, uh, you know, these, these very uh, unique things that happen uh, where, you know, buyers, uh, you know, the buyer at, at the point of sale might have a different uh, a situation or expectation down the road. And those are, those are customer service uh, opportunities for us. To, to work with those customers to 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 make sure that they're taken care of. So, great. Okay. One one final question about something which is a, an option, which uh, can be purchased by uh, with both models. I think is the is the pin bar screen protector. Uh, now, what is that, and and why would people want to add that to their game? So um, that's basically uh, uh, just. I mean, it's, it's exactly almost exactly what you would put on, you know, your iPhone or your you know, Google phone or your tablet um, to basically uh, provide extra uh, impact protection. Um, right. And so, you know, we've, and it didn't make the cut, um, but we have taken our, our pin bar screen and we've taken one of our glass bottles here filled with some water and, and you know, hit it with it. And, uh, and, you know, that's, that's what, you know, touchscreen glass is typically meant for is, is direct impact. Now, it's not impact proof. Uh, you hit hard enough with, with anything, you're going to crack it. Um, yeah. But uh, what we've tried to do with, the, um, with basically the overlay there uh, is provide, if someone is really interested in, in getting extra protections, provide that. Because you can't just go to, like, you know, any... Any company that sells these and get the right size and stuff like that, it's going to have to be a custom order that we're going to have to make. Uh, and uh, and to be honest with you, I don't think we've actually made the order yet um, because we're still trying to figure out which vendor we want to go through uh, to, to actually cut these. Uh, mm -hmm. There's two types. There's um, there's ones that use the water with, um, and then there's ones that are basically static, just like what you would have with you know any other you know smartphone or, or tablet. Yeah. And so we haven't really decided yet. Uh, we have prices, so we know what pricing is probably going to be. Um, but uh, we haven't decided on the vendor yet. But I'm hoping we're going to get it done here uh, very quickly. As when orders start shipping, we want to be able to put that on at factory, so it's there when um, when it gets to the customer. Okay, thanks for that. Um, I have one other question, if I might just uh, sure go ahead. Butt in. Um, on, on the extra model, you, you've got the, the two additional mid-range speakers on the front of the cabinet. Now, do these provide additional sort of surround sound type effects, which which you don't get on the on the two point one arcade model? Uh, and if so, uh, do you have different sound mixes for those two models? Does it does it handle the sounds differently, or is it is it more as a, an extension of, of what's provided on the back box speakers? So for for. Raza, it will probably be an, uh, an additional add-on. Um, I'm not saying additional cost, um, but additional add-on later on. Um, for future games, it will likely be built in. Uh, there will be a microphone um, basically built in uh, to the machine, and that microphone is detecting the ambient noise in the room. Most people play in a, in a noisy, loud environment and don't wear headphones. And so the goal of those speakers that use the body as a natural um, channel for sound is to mix more of the SFX, which pinball users don't realize how much they use to understand what's going on in the play field, right? Yeah. Uh, the the is in the business and, and all of that um, and the dings. 
So um, the mixing for that, that David's done a great job on, uh, David Teal, mm. uh, will throttle that in a very loud uh, environment more through those speakers to get that to the ears and then throttle more of the music uh, to the front firing speakers that usually gets lost in the dissonance. I mean, even at my my house, you know, you get more than two pinball machines on in my game room, um, and it starts to get pretty pretty dissonant and loud really quick. Let alone going as as all of us have done, going to an event uh, and and hearing what happens at an event. Uh, you can basically, unless it's cranked up all the way, you can barely hear anything. So, uh, and a lot of people at events don't want to carry around, uh, you know. Uh, Bluetooth, um, you know, headphones and all that, mm. or, or jack headphones to deal with it. So what we tried to do is create a balance, right? Look, if there's no uh, nothing close to the ear, like a headphone or ear AirPods or, or something like that, to hear the sound, what we tried to do is get more sound directly to uh, the user using those bottom speakers. Now, there's directional speakers on the market. The problem is the quality of the sound. And so over, over the years to come, as those directional speakers um, become better and better at quality and come down in price, uh, those are obviously going to be the next upgrade in audio for, for pinball machines. Uh, but right now, uh, those two speakers, up-firing up speakers using the body, are the best that we have to really create a, a much more rich audio experience in loud environments. Right. Okay. Obviously, you don't want it too directional because uh, you might you could well have people standing around the machine wanting to, to hear what's going on in it as well, who are you know spectating and not actually playing at the time, so they want right. to better hear the sounds. Yeah. Right. So, uh, if I may jump on that uh, for for uh, just a brief second, um, since your uh, game is already uh, uh, has Wi-Fi connectivity and Bluetooth connectivity and what have you. If you want the uh, at a show, the player uh, to have a good audio experience, would it not be possible for them to sort of uh, through Bluetooth connect their phone to the game so that they can listen to their own earset uh, on their own phone and their earset um, to the audio of the game? Would that be possible, or is that just an idea that I came up with and that you have to do look into? It, it is a feature not turned on, and, and one of the biggest problems is, is it's a hardware and software issue and how we've uh, dealt with the mixing of the, the sound and getting that mix to the one Bluetooth channel or one jack channel uh, proved to be, uh, through experimentation, uh, a, a difficult thing to do when it sounds like it'd be really easy. So the that feature has been turned off for now. Um it might be turned on in the future. Uh, I think the goal that we have is, you know, people who want to use headphones and stuff like that, uh, while they are important, it isn't the priority that we, we wanted to, to highlight in our platform. Okay. That makes sense. Um, we uh, already talked about uh, some of the upcoming games. Um, what I actually want to address is uh, many of the upcoming games are original themes for which you are... Uh, creating uh, the intellectual property, all the characters and uh, uh, and such. Are there plans to do more with those uh, characters than other than use them on the pinball machine? Yes. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> um, I, I think that 
you know, Quinn uh, and a lot of the other creatives here and myself have tried to create worlds on our own. I mean, the great thing about buying a license is someone else has created that world for you, right? Right. Uh, and you connected with that world or those characters, and you want to experience that world or characters with pinball. Though I can tell you how many times I'm disappointed every time I play a licensed game that I'm not able to connect with the world or characters the way I would have done it. And so it becomes more of a frustrating situation, right? right. Uh, you're basically playing someone else's uh, interpretation. And so that's what I love about the Williams Valley, who took a lot of the uh, you know, creative license on a lot of licensed things and made it their own narrative. Now, we're even going beyond that. We're creating our own worlds and our own characters, our own narratives ourselves. And while they might be, not be beloved by everyone through a movie, for instance, or you know, a, a band, um, we're, we're basically creating the worlds ourselves no differently. Uh, and so the ability to create TV shows, in fact, we had a TV show, uh, we had several uh, um, um, episodes of a TV show for Rosamade, uh that was basically you know thrown on the editing floor. Uh, and I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, um, but things like Yukon Yeti would, would easily make uh, an animated short um, down the road. Um, so there's other cross-branding opportunities that we would have. I believe Food Truck at one point was made into uh, like a board game. Um, so all of these things that we've done over the years is we've been, you know, um, working on all of these projects and these narratives. You're just seeing basically the pinball version of that. But in the future, uh, yeah, if it makes sense to bring out some of these cross-branded things that we've been working on, uh, then, then great. Uh, but if it doesn't, then, you know, it was, it was fun that we had internally doing something different with these beautiful, you know, worlds and, and narratives and stuff and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So, right. But so, but, but in, just in theory, it could be that the characters from food truck end up in a, um, uh, uh, animated show on comedy central or, or cartoon network or, or something like that. If it catches on. If sure. It, Cool. I mean, there's studios around the world that put out great content that that's, you know, it's either, you know, uh, you have your, um, you know, cult favorites and stuff like that. Uh, and and so it, it, very few things make it big. Um, you know, most things that studios put out in the world, the vast majority of it is put out. No one ever really notices uh, until some point where maybe it is noticed down the road. And so for us to, to throw any of this out there to, to explore these characters or worlds wouldn't be a big deal, even if they never catch on, right? Right. Um, you know, we're, we're not Disney. Uh, Disney, anything they put out just about makes a billion dollars, right? Um, but there's a lot of other great content out there uh, that, that, that isn't worth as much. It's, it's still great content that's put out by uh, studios who put a lot of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into, into a story or characters that they love. And uh, it just becomes more and more content out there that, that people sit through and, and it connects with some people and some people it doesn't connect with. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was, this was always the, uh, the intention, wasn't it, when you started Deep Root Studios, that they would be able to produce or create and uh, all these brands, characters, worlds, and then uh, market them in, in various different ways, people being one of them, TV series, cartoons, board games, any any other Type of outlet that they that they could uh, attach it to. That was Correct. that was that's yep. what I read about. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, now, getting back to 
how you got into pinball yourself. Um, as I read on the uh, uh, on the Deep Root Pinball website, um, basically it started for you with the pinball arcade. Is there a chance of uh, Deep Root going sort of full circle that Deep Root games would actually become uh, virtual pinball games that you can play on your phone? Like the pinball uh, arcade. I would probably say no. If we ever wanted to do that, we would probably approach, um, was it Zen Studios, who does some mm -hmm. virtual pinball or the pinball arcade to do it for us? Uh, it doesn't make any, I mean, the pipeline that you have to get together to do something like that and do it right uh, is, is pretty costly. Uh, and it does, would not make a lot of sense for us since we're not geared toward that to do it in-house. Um, and so uh, if there were an opportunity to work with another partner uh, who could much, ease, uh, much easier uh, and, and, and for, uh, for reasonable cost, uh, take some of our licensed IP uh, that we've created our own licenses and do something with it digitally, then uh, we're all ears. But you know, right now, uh, we're fo focused on what we started with and what we want to do for many years to come. And that is, you know, innovating and elevating the, the traditional pen bar, uh, you know, pen, I'm sorry, pinball experience, um, you know, with our pen bar, et cetera. Okay. Um, can I just ask one more question about the, the hardware on, uh, on Raza? Because uh, one, of, one of the things that stands out um, very obviously in the extra model, uh, the illuminated side panels for really make the artwork pop. Now, I'm, I was wondering, from just from a, a curious technical point of view, how those are illuminated. Are they electroluminescent panels, EL panels, which the artwork on top, or are they um, a sort of side-lit or edge-lit um, perspex or uh, acrylic sheets with the artwork on? And uh, how, how do they work? You're talking about the, the backlit side panels on the extra, right? Yes, that's right, yes. Uh, uh, so, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm technologically, you know, know the slogan, et cetera, but they're custom, just simple custom panels that you would use in an advertising cut to the dimensions that, you know, we wanted them for a pinball using side lit, uh, lit strips. Um, right. okay. So, it, I don't know if that answers your question or not. It does. It absolutely does. Yes, I was, I was wondering whether they were uh, edge lit in the, you know, in the same way that uh, LCD panels are. Yeah. Or, uh, it, or whether they're, whether they're using complex. big electroluminescent panels, yeah, which would be very expensive. I know that other pinball manufacturers have had their, uh, you know, ways of doing it, mm. um, but it is not easy to get um, a, a, a backlit side panel on there uh, and engineer it so it's pretty rugged. Uh, it looks good and, you know, it's usable. Uh, and so it, it took a took a lot of work. In fact, I had a lot of engineers uh, internally asking me and begging me to not to not have this ready for Raza and to give them more time with it. And, you know, I think we, we reached a compromise where we came up uh, at the end of the day with a really good design still um, that's, that's really rugged uh, and it's consistent and repeatable and, and durable and, and, uh, and, and reliable. And so I, I, have to, I have to call it a win, you know, because let me tell you what, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things we got compliments on from you know what's brewing, but I can tell you uh, the number one by far compliment uh, was how the side panel makes the game pop, and pictures don't do it justice. 
you put this at you know a TPF or a Chicago Expo with a bunch of other games, it is definitely going to to stand out, and it's going to light up the room, and that's what's going to make it amazing. You know, even if you're if you have a lot of games pushed together in your uh, you know in your basement or game room, etc., it's still going to be a, an eye catcher. Right. So, and um, uh, these side panels—that's just the the left and the right side. It's not around the uh, the front for uh, around the coin door, correct? No. Uh, trying to because the coin door is an internal square, uh, it, it got very complicated trying to figure out how we were going to have the seam between the side and and the front panel. What was that seam going to be? And then getting it evenly lit uh, with that interior square. So we, we just were like, no, no, we're not going to do it. We're just going to do the side panels, make it look really good, and and that's what we've we've done. So the front is still vinyl around the coin door. Right. Okay. Now, since we're discussing um, sort of innovations uh, in this case uh, on on uh, side art and and so on, the. Uh, one thing that that's definitely clear if you look at the videos um, on the Deep Root Pinball website, um, you come across uh, when you started in this uh, hobby and industry, uh, uh, you came across a lot of elements that are part of uh, pinball that you figured could be innovated, and which you actually did, um, resulting in in a lot of. Uh, hardware changes, I would say, to the um, uh, to the, the the pinball cabinet, uh, the outside of the game. How much has uh, the game itself been innovated compared to all the innovations that have been applied to the exterior, uh, the, the 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 cabinet, um, and 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 sword? Are you referring to the playfield? Um, yeah, and gameplay and and such. Yeah. So uh, Raza uh, was the person, and I know a lot of people are like, well, why did you leave the Goonies, right? I know that, you know, uh, another podcaster kept asking me this in several interviews. And, uh, you know, I, I basically tell him, uh, go get your own pinball company, and then you can decide all the great marketing things that you, you want to do uh, that are only right because you thought of them, right? Uh, and so, look, Raza is the perfect game. Raza has been out there for so long. Everyone knows what to expect with Raza. Um, it was a, it was the perfect first game for us to to um, to get our platform done um, to to start building you know a good solid quality manufacturing line um, and for people to finally play a J-pop game that works right and that that can work uh, and. So there was a lot of reasons, there were more reasons, good reasons, to put out Raza first um, than there were cons. And so while Raza is very unique, Raza was never meant to have uh, a game-changing uh, layout. Because at, at some point, you've seen all the layouts you're ever going to see, right? There's only so many ways you can interact with the ball, right? There's, there's so many things that have happened over the decades and decades, you know, or perhaps a century of pinball. There's only so much you can do. Um, and so as a result, Raza is not going to be a groundbreaking um, play field, as a lot of people have kind of complained about. There's a lot on it. Believe me, there is a lot on it. If you, you don't think there's a lot on Raza, then uh, maybe we should talk about what you think the bomb, uh, you know, 
is is really because I can tell you I know what the bomb is and it's 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 an expensive playoff versus most other pinball games uh, out there and there's a lot to shoot there's a lot to hit um, it is definitely not the easiest shooter in the world but it's challenging and that's what we want we want someone to be challenged by by a game we put out every other game that we're going to put out after Raza which we've designed uh, and which really has not been shown you know publicly um, we've tried to make at least one thing, and sometimes there's more than one, uh, but we've tried to make at least one thing that's on the play field that's either new um, or it's it's either a new technology, new way to interact with the ball, something that's never been put on a play field, something like that. And I can tell you um, that, you know, through all the games that we've announced, uh, I could very easily, if, if I wanted to, and let's talk, you know, a year uh, or so from now and we can we can review that. But each one has something new on it, right? Um, Raza is something that, uh, that, that's pretty much uh, uh, core J-pop design that's been there you know, from um, 2011 or, or 12, or wherever you know, his first designs came up. So on Raza, you're not going to see as much innovation on the play field, even though there's a lot of innovation under the play field, um, et cetera. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, one of the uh, although your although your uh, your main focus of sales is is uh, going to be North America, the you will obviously want to be selling games to Europe as well. And, and I guess Australia. you're aware of this uh, this twenty five percent tariff that's been imposed on pinball machines and parts from America to Europe. Do you think that's going to uh, hit your your sales there and do you think that's going to change the focus of where you where you market your games more towards uh, other parts of the world including the, the north america so um I, I i don't know the latest results um but you know just you know, a little over 24 hours maybe a little under 24 hours uh, at the time we're doing this podcast from when we open up orders i, I believe that um at least half of the orders are, are from the eu thus far um, and it, we've had a great response in showing um, there, and so I, it doesn't appear, at least with our orders thus far, you know, you know, one day in, um, that uh, the the EU tariff um, or duty or whatever it is has affected sales uh, for us. Now it might right. for others. Um, mm. The good news is, and, and after having my attorneys kind of pour over the language doesn't appear that it applies until the game is in transit. Um, so as a result, since the international um, units will likely be uh, toward the end or at the end of our, our run, um, there is a very good chance with, uh, you know, depending on a new administration coming uh, here in the U.S., um, that that tariff or duty might not be there at the time the games actually ship. So right. uh, I don't know how... I don't. I, there's nothing anybody's going to be able to do. Look, it's you know, it's a bunch of politicians, you know, um, just being cute, right? And at the end of the day, um, you know, we either elected them or they were elected from uh, from however they were elected. They chose what they were going to chose, and we just have to follow along. Uh, you know, pinball wasn't the only thing that had you know the duty or, or tariff um, slapped on it. So. Yeah. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to abide by the law. We're going to try to do our best to take care of our customers, 
Um, and you know, if the if the duty or tariff is there, you know, there's nothing we're going to be able to do for it uh, about it because at, at this point, you know, both of these these Raza models are, are very aggressively priced, and uh, so there's not a lot of you know cream um, that we're going to be able to do for um, you know, unfortunately, those who live in the EU to try to compensate for um, for a duty or or a tariff or whatever. Yeah, sure. I wish there was, but. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting about the uh, the worldwide distribution of orders so far. Right. So, and Martin, did you have a question? Um, no, I think on uh, all the all the things I wanted to ask you, really, uh, I think you've you've answered uh, or we've addressed um, very very well. Thank you. Right. Yeah. So, no problem. Um, uh, I have to say, I was. Um, uh, 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 very well. Impressed is not the not the word, but I figured uh, I have to uh, to compliment you on the way that you are um, making it very easy to um, put a topper on top of a game uh, with uh, basically four screws, and it just plugs in uh, without having to to worry about wiring and what have you. Um, that's a very um, long overdue feature in pinball. Any chance that you uh, patented that? Or is that like, hey, we came up with it, and if everybody wants to use it, go ahead? So um, we had a long, long list of patents um, that, you know, on a lot of stuff that we've done. And we kind of dialed that back over time to really focus on those things that makes most sense to us to kind of control. Um, and so I, I can't really discuss that because of uh, legal reasons. Sure. Um, but, you know, look, we... We're, we're, we don't want. We want to enhance the the community as well, you know, through our products and stuff. Um, and you know, we, we try to not be uh, overly uh, legal uh, in trying to you know lock up everything that we could possibly do just because no one else has, or you know, we were the first to it or whatever. So we we really tried to pick and choose to the core things that we're bringing to the table, and those are the things we're going to focus on. Uh, you know. Patent filings. Okay. I suppose I probably have one one final question that I'd like to ask, um, and that goes back to the, when you when you started all this. You you said that you didn't think that, uh, or you uh, you were uh, critical is probably too strong a word, but you uh, you didn't agree with those people who said that uh, making pinball is hard. Uh, do you would you like to revise that opinion now? <laughs> uh, Look, I don't think pinball. I think pinball being hard was an excuse that was often used, and, and I think the reason why originally years ago, the reason why I originally said that was to make fun uh, and jab a little bit at those who claimed pinball was hard as the excuse for this or that or, or whatever, right? And now with the pandemic this year, everyone's using the pandemic as an excuse. So pinball, uh, you know, being being easier, hard, really, it doesn't really matter anymore. But um, to be honest. Uh, the things that go into making a pinball machine um, are complex, um, but to do what we've done, um, and that is R&Ding, uh, you know, behind the scenes without a lot of real-world testing uh, along the way, keeping it secret, uh, and and doing a lot of very complex things that have never been done in pinball before that create then, you know, dominoes that you have to change this and you got to change that. And, and that type of engineering has, is really, really uh, taken a toll on a lot of us and how difficult uh, it ended up being and how long it ended up taking. Uh, so 
at the end of the day, you know, I put it on the website under my story. Pinball, pinball is hard, uh, especially when you deliver a package like we're delivering uh, and we'll, you know, continue to deliver. Um, whether or not if we had just popped out, you know, a simple game, uh, pinball being hard, uh, you know, years ago, I, you know, like we can, we can all debate about this. I think it's so taboo and people just want to hear me say pinball is hard because that makes their day or whatever. But um, at, look, I've taken years off my life with this project. Uh, so I think that speaks for itself. All right. So is there anything you would like to address? Uh, that we haven't touched on or uh, that you feel like, okay, um, something that, that you feel like uh, people should know or uh, maybe something nobody noticed yet and you figure like, why has nobody noticed this or that or I don't know. I, I appreciate it. I, I think we've covered a lot of varied uh, topics. I think y'all had some great questions in a lot of different areas. Um you had and, some great uh, answers too. Yeah, well, thank you. I think that uh, you know when when you're behind the scenes here and you see this on a regular basis uh, for years, and especially over the last few months, getting you know stuff ready for the website and and you know things that you're things that you've seen, things that you know you've yet to see. Um, it all kinds of it all kind of comes together. Um, so it's it's hard for me to kind of point at anything I'd really want to kind of focus on that. That we haven't talked about already and that's why i'm appreciative that your comments were kind of uh or questions were were all over the place so at least we hit a little bit of everything so much appreciation to you guys right okay um thank one, you very much Robert. one thing that that does come to mind um in the past you have been teasing the five days of deep root um are there still, uh, is, is there going to be a five days of Deep Root event come, uh, uh, tying in with a future edition of the Texas Pinball Festival? Or is that something that's, that, that was only upon launch of the first game and it's not going to be reconsidered for future titles or something like that? Yeah, so look, I, I, I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way with some things that were in, in my control and some things that were uh, not in my control. And, um, you know, very clearly the five days of deep root has, has come and gone. It's sailed. Uh, and, uh, and what we've tried to do is uh, focus on now uh, just walking the walk and implementing. And, um, and uh, we, we don't need to use, uh, you know, any sort of launch or, or, you know, intro marketing kind of concepts uh, or, or catchphrases like that anymore. Um, my, my focus now is, is, uh, is manufacturing, uh, getting pinball machines out there and, and dealing with customers and, and providing them a great customer experience. So when it's, when it's time to launch game two, food truck, how, how do you think you will, you'll do that? Will that just be, you know, it's on the website, you can order it now, or are you going to do a, a big sort of launch for that title? Yeah, it really depends on on uh, how the pandemic continues to go. Uh, I think, uh, you know, if, if our health, uh, the people we look to for health advice um, uh, don't seem to know we can't get it right uh, over and over again, it's really difficult to kind of understand uh, when we can really get back to a point of getting, you know, a, a new machine to, to a place that a lot of people can come play it uh, and, and really get excited about it. And so we're still in... We're still in uh, unknown territory for how we deal and, and try to disseminate pinball uh, experiences uh, to a large mass of people 
uh, other than virtually. And it might be a long time before uh, we're really able to kind of get back to normal worldwide and, and try to, you know, have a more traditional type of, you know, hands-on launch event. It's certainly possible to do a big launch event, though, virtually, or even if there's, uh, you know, there are a few machines around the country or around the world which, uh, which people can stream. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at uh, how, how some other manufacturers have, have launched titles recently in the uh, pandemic age, and they seem to have uh, done quite a successful uh, marketing push by getting lots of material to everybody, lots of videos, lots of buy-in from, from the people involved in the design and, and, and uh, creation of the game. So that would be, be something which could, could happen. And even if, it, if it's not at a show or at a, at a launch event, a physical launch event, there's, there's still yeah. lots that could be done. Yeah, I mean, when I think that as a new pinball company, uh, you know, we're, we're often looked at uh, to a higher standard. Um, and uh, definitely some of the missteps we've had haven't helped at all uh, in, in doing a virtual event and stuff like that. And I think that's just, uh, there's, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of negative people in pinball who have, you know, a lot of very loud megaphones. Um, and so um, doing virtual events and virtual uh, stuff on unlicensed games is a very different approach than I think that you would do on a licensed game um, that the people, uh, a lot, you have a, a, a large consumer base already kind of set in stone. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There have been a couple of virtual launches here uh, over the last few months that were done very well. And there was very strong sales. And so, uh, you know, our focus again is on, on you know, making uh, Raza the best limited run that we can, uh, that we uh, can make it. And, um, and for those that are excited about Raza, uh, getting them their games as fast as they can. So. Yeah, I think my takeaway really was uh, don't sneak out the titles uh, you know, under under the wire. Shout about them loud and uh, and be proud of them and and make a make a big fuss and uh, <laughs> a, a major promotion when you do release them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I I don't know when we're going to uh, announce. You know, really, what's going to happen with uh, the next title? Uh, or the next several titles, and we're just going to have to see uh, what the circumstances are, and and we have no problem shouting them out at that point. Great, right? Okay. So we'll uh, we'll interview at that time again, right? Okay. Or or maybe sooner. Um, I have one final question, and then uh, I suggest uh, to wrap this up. Um, if we look at the uh, the pinball industry landscape um, for the past, uh, I'd say twenty years, well, uh, Stern Pinball has been. Uh, for sure the uh, number one manufacturer. Ten years ago, Jersey Jack came to the scene and followed by a uh, number of smaller companies. It took Jersey Jack ten years to announce a game and and be able to ship games on the day the game was announced. Would you... Uh, dare to make a um, um, an estimate when you expect Deepwood would be into the position if they desire to be to announce a game and have units ready to ship the day the game is announced, or is that something that's currently not something that you want to be be uh, kept on uh, in the future um, in case you don't make whatever 
uh, estimate you're you're projecting? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think it would be title specific. Uh, for Raza, it was never our intention to have uh, games ready to ship when we started orders, and especially to have a lot of them. It's just it would have been completely stupid for uh, a stupid business decision to even try uh, to be so vain that we uh, could build a bunch of games uh, and there weren't you know some reasonably uh, large issues with them and the first you know batches that go out uh, as a new manufacturer pinball being as complex as it is right right uh, and so for Raza it's a very unique situation I think um, you know uh, as as the steward of the company and having to take care of not only the company, but our employees and, and as well as uh, customers and stuff like that. Um, the best I can do as a steward is, is make a good business decision that makes sense for, for everyone, right? A good balance. And I think that our next game uh, with our platform uh, well-tested by then, it, it, would, it would not be unheard of for us to have games ready to go and ship uh, when we announced it, and that's the goal. Um, whether or not that will continue, will be that case, or continue on for other titles, uh, it, I, I have no clue. It really depends on the circumstances um, for each of them. Um, you know, it's always nice, but I mean, traditionally, and you know, I mentioned this on our website. Traditionally, all pinball manufacturers typically take four to six weeks to have the first game out or more. Um, and it hasn't been until very recently where that's been sort of the expectation and change has, has really uh, has taken place. Um, but, um, you know, especially for last decade, uh, nearly all launches took that long or more. And uh, in many cases, it took months uh, and sometimes years for manufacturers to get the entire run out, even if the run wasn't very much. And so... Uh, you know, all that, that we're expecting is, is for our con consumers to, to understand that and not to hold us to any different standard than they held to these other companies before. Um, and especially as a new manufacturer, we owe it to our customers to make sure that their games are, are, are well built and designed and manufactured to the expectations that they're expecting. And then they arrive and, and, and they're in the the condition and, and playable and that they expect and and we're going to make the right decisions internally uh, to make sure that happens okay makes sense well in that case if uh, unless you have anything else to ask uh, johnson i think we can we can thank robert for taking a considerable amount of time out of his day and answering our questions here and uh, giving us some some very interesting answers and uh, Revealing, I think, some some information that uh, hasn't been revealed before. So, yeah. thank you, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we had a great discussion. It did uh, it did go for a while. So, uh, I'll let y'all decide what's going <laughs> to stay on the edit floor or what's going to get published. But uh, I appreciate the, the opportunity to start talking <laughs> with y'all. And um, after you know, trying uh, and kind of uh, not getting our schedules together before, not being the right time. But uh, hopefully, we'll do it again soon. Okay, I think well, it's looking, been great. Thank yeah. you, thank you, and looking forward for that already. We wish you uh, all the best with the uh, production of Raza, and yeah, um, uh, best of luck and, with, with Deep Root Pinball, of course. Yes, and congratulations getting to the stage where you can actually uh, start selling the game. <laughs> thank you very much. It is a good place to be. So, uh, yeah. thank you. We'll talk to you all soon. Okay. Okay. Thanks, thank you Robert. very much. And that wraps it up. Our two and a yeah. half hour interview with Robert Mueller of Deep Root Pinball. I hope you enjoyed this. We did say enjoyed it was in this. depth, didn't we? 
Well, <laughs> I think that's an understatement. <laughs> well, it's about as deep as you can go. And I think, uh, yeah, as we said at, at the very start of this, uh, this bonus podcast, uh, there's some uh, very interesting information there about how the game's going to be made, what's going to be in the game, how it's going to be sold. And, uh, and upcoming titles and uh, basically deep root pimple strategy going forward. And uh, I, th- I think we, we got some, some good, valuable information from Robert. So thank you, huge thank you to Robert for taking so long out of his very busy schedule right. to talk to us all. Yeah, no, we appreciate it uh, very, very much. So it's definitely worth doing this, this bonus podcast. We did say uh, at the end of our look back on November that we would be back in, in January our next podcast barring any unforeseen um, occurrences and well this was unforeseen exactly uh, when this interview was going to take place and, right. but fortunately it has so we will wrap this up now and uh, we will look forward to seeing you in January for a look back on all the pinball news in December 2020. In, unless in the meantime another company <laughs> decides to roll out a new title yeah. as well which is certainly not unheard of. No, barring that, we uh, wish you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, and uh, we will see you in 2021. Yeah, same uh, from me, and uh, well, Happy Holidays, and uh, we'll talk to each other early next year. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.